Hey, welcome to the 274th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McVale and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And they're still talking about John Burns' Fantastic Four run from 1984. I'm going to do uh, at least a few, couple more issues, one more issue, two more, maybe one more, and then maybe put a pause in it. So we'll see. Um, and then I'll probably talk about a movie or two or whatever. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is K. O-F-I.com slash GMAT from heck. Every week I always like, I should just like pre-record that intro and just be lazy, but I, I don't do that, obviously. So I uh, hope you had a happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, if you don't, I hope you had a happy week. And I don't know, did, did anyone go Black Friday shopping? I was uh, tempted, but I didn't. The only thing I was tempted wasn't really Black Friday shopping, but... Uh, my local record store, it, they record stores. In case you don't, or you're not aware, they ever a few times a year they do these uh, indie record store days where they get like exclusive vinyl records that are just to like the independent stores, and you can only get them through the stores. It's starting to get to be a bummer for me. I, I have a few records, you know. I'm not like a massive collector, but you know, I, I have a few that I, I'm really, you know, really care about. But with these record store days it's just like everything else it's just getting harder and harder people are i i'm sure there you know there are collectors there which is a you know there's a great community of, of vinyl collectors which is awesome but there are obviously as with everything there's people who just snatch stuff up and and it's just it makes it hard when you know because when whenever these these days come up there's only maybe like one or two or three things that i i'm really super interested and it's like impossible to get to them because you know sometimes the stores can only get you know maybe two or three copies if they're lucky and so it's it's just a bummer uh but that's how good i mean there there was uh a david bowie bing crosby the little drummer boy peace on earth medley i just i love that song listen to that song i mean i'm not super into christmas music because i just think it's it's a bit too much sometimes but that song, I mean, David Bowie's voice is—it's like angelic. I mean, it, it literally like brings tears to my eyes. Uh, part of it is just missing him, and you know, we don't have him with us. Watch Moonage Daydream if if you haven't. It, it's available on DVD, and you can probably stream it. You have to probably pay to stream it, but it's it's worth paying to support this amazing film. Anyways, I should go on. While I'm talking about music, uh, I just want to talk about that. I meant to talk about it last week. The whole Ticketmaster Taylor Swift fiasco i guess where a lot of people are like oh you know down with with ticketmaster they're horrible the way i i don't know and i'm i'm trying to figure out what's going on like who is ticketmaster really to blame so in case you're unaware or don't care whatever tickets went on sale it must be a couple weeks now for Taylor Swift. She's going back on tour. It's, it's been years since she's toured because, you know, when Lover came out, you know, COVID happened. So she never, she had to cancel those, those 
that that concert and you know she put out two other albums during lockdown and you know no tours obviously so she's touring next year and people are are going crazy and as i always say whether or not you like taylor swift's music or not you can't deny the contribution you know what she's doing for the music and and just just like the amount of accolades she gets i mean she's winning award 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 like every single time she's she's winning this so obviously there's something there and whether it's your personal taste or not you know that that's it's all subjective you know but you you can't deny the artist that she is and along with the fact that she does a lot of good things i mean she's a great role model i mean it, that's the thing i, I was and last time i went to the music store i was actually talking to the the owner yeah he's a great guy you know i i was a little hesitant to bring it up because you know he seems like he's really into like the classic rock and stuff like that but he had had a lot of good things to say and i really respect his opinion because i mean this this guy obviously he knows this stuff and you know he was he was going on about how she's a good role model and how, you know all the stuff she does and everything else. so but anyways uh, they had a couple of pre-sales there was like a verified fan pre-sale where you had to sign up and one of my my coworkers tried signing up for for her her daughter and son and and, and partner but she couldn't wasn't verified she got put on a wait list so there's a limit to that then there was like the Citibank pre-sale a couple days, you know, later, and then the, the regular sales are still going on Friday. The the first pre-sales were like it it basically broke Ticketmaster. You know, it was supposed to be a 10 a.m. local time. No one could get in. It was just it, so they had to move. They're like, we're going to move it to three o'clock so they could beef up their servers or whatever. I went in right at three o'clock at the dot. Boom, refresh automatically 2000 plus people ahead of you which what does that mean that could be mean like like you know 10,000 or you know 50,000 there's there's no telling so i was just working in my classroom you know doing stuff and then just looking at it i'm like am i staring at a dead screen you know nothing is it's not even moving and then like after like over an hour like it might have been like an hour and 10 minutes it slowly started moving the little little status bar moved a tiny bit so i'm like oh cuz at first i was like should if i refresh I'll know if the screen is dead or not. But if I refresh, I'm going to lose my place in line. And who knows what that means. So anyways, I was lucky enough to get a couple tickets. A decent straight back, like a little little to the right. Um, in case you want to you know, say, hey, <laughs> you're not going to find me there. You're not even going to be there. Uh, but it was just it, it was just crazy. And then this, the Citibank thing, I guess it was impossible to get tickets. And then I guess they canceled the right... Somehow tickets sold out before, which... I don't understand that. So maybe that was a Ticketmaster problem. I someone was telling me that maybe people were hacking into it to buy the tickets, and I I don't know because my understanding is when they do pre-sale, they don't open the entire venue. You know, they only open certain sections and like certain rows, certain seats in certain sections. So it's not like we're going to open up to everyone. And because there's always a chance you can do a pre-sale, you might be get lucky and get better seats during the regular sale because whatever. But apparently that didn't happen. So a lot of people are complaining about Ticketmaster, but I just think that there's just such a demand. And and maybe there were some sneaky people that, that got in there. But even with a verified fan, you can only get six, a maximum of six tickets. Which again, good luck trying to find six tickets together because you have to you if you buy your tickets and then you you want to do another sale, you know, to get six separate ticket or you know groups of two or three whatever you have to go back at the end of the queue which you know whatever so 
people are complaining, but I just think it's just Taylor Swift's in demand. And you know, I, I told my daughter, I was like, this is probably gonna be the last time we were able to see her because I think it's just getting nut. We were just like lucky. So uh, that's a little bit on the music uh, scene lately. Um, now I know you're probably like Tony. Why are you talking about all this? Actually, I didn't even talk about what I'm I'm talking about in the show. Uh, main feature is Gardens of the Galaxy holiday special. I should have talked about this like it's, it's seven minutes ago. Uh, we'll talk about that, and it's only for like 45 minutes, so it, it, it's perf- I guess perfect, you know, time wise, whatever for what it is. I'm also going to talk just a little bit about Christmas Story Christmas that came out like a week and a half ago. I feel I didn't want to. I was like, it's too early to watch this. I, but uh, well, I'll talk about it later. And I am going to talk about Wednesday. I was able to watch four episodes to record this. I have to record this a little tiny bit earlier than, than normal, just because of all the the, the holiday, you know, families stuff like that. Um, so I was able to watch four episodes. I really like the show. I'll just say that right now. Um, Titans. I think I, I I'm going to do two episodes of Titans next week. I'm not going to watch uh, episode four or five. Or I'm not going to talk about four or five this week. Part of the, the trade, I'm I I hate doing it. It's it's OCD or whatever. It's like oh man, I need to talk. I need to talk about it. But part of the thing also is with Star Wars Andor ending and Chucky ending. So that's two shows down for next week. Yeah, I'm gonna have four more episodes of Wednesday to talk about, which will you know pad things up. And then you know there's a peripheral. But then also I, I think Doom Patrol. No, Doom Patrol doesn't start next week. There's something else. Uh, I thought there's something else that starts up. I'm totally blank. And this happens all the time where I, I, as soon as I'm done recording, as soon as I hit the, like the stop button, then I'll be like, oh yeah, that there's, there's that. Uh, so th- there'll be plenty next week. And also this week, the reason it's like, okay, here we are about like 10 minutes in and still not even to the news. There's really literally, honestly, not a lot of news this week because it was a holiday, you know, it's a short work week for some people. So, uh, with the news, uh, kind of, I don't know if this is the big news of the week, but uh, Chris Hemsworth, so I don't remember if I talked about what he mentioned on his his one Limitless show, whatever, where he's genetically pre, was pre-deposed, pre, not predestined, but he, he has a genetic potential f- for getting Alzheimer's disease, I guess, which... I didn't realize that they could detect that, which is like, I, that's that's a scary thing to, to think about. And I, I didn't read the full details on it, um, in part because it, it's I don't want to read it, I guess. You know, it's, it's like something sad. But he was like, I guess he wasn't even sure if he was going to mention it on the show or anything like that, but he did. Um, but anyways, he's talking about like a possible return to Thor, you know, for, for a next movie. And he says, you know, it is interesting because I, I, I've seen like different headlines and it, it almost sounds like people are angling in it, it differently. One headline was was basically saying how he's, they're, they're angling it like he's really bagging on Taika Waititi's Love and Thunder. I, I don't know why people hate that movie so much. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fun. And I don't know why some people just don't like the, the comedy with the, how sucky life can be. Give me, put a smile on my face, you know, because my, I don't just laugh at like anything, and you know maybe what the stuff I do laugh at isn't completely highbrow or whatever. Would you know? I don't care, but you know if it makes me laugh, that's all that matters. But I, I, I find those movies entertaining. I, I liked it. You know, it is total popcorn movie, and I think Thor, you know, Chris Hemsworth is great as Thor. I love seeing Jane Foster and you know stepping up in a role and everything. 
I, I enjoyed it. And I liked Ragnarok. You know, two the kind of different movies, but I, I guess a lot of people are complaining about we're getting like dumb Thor, basically. You know, he's he's like a lunkhead and everything. But one of the th- so people are taking what he's saying that it would have to be different. You know, the, the tone tone and everything would have to completely change. So they're taking that as like he didn't like what happened. And I read an actual like closer like a uh, fuller soundbite or whatever from the, the interview that he was talking about where he was saying you know you look at the first two movies they're kind of the same and then you got these two where you know you got lunkhead thor whatever you want to call them they're kind of the same so he kind of wants to do something else because he he says that when it becomes too familiar there's a risk in becoming lazy so he doesn't just want to do the same thing which makes sense so it's it's not saying that he hates what he did and maybe he did i don't know but it seemed like he had fun with it he is a hilarious guy i mean if you watched the ghostbusters movie he was in which again a lot of people hated that because oh no we got women in the lead roles i i was entertained my daughter loved the movie i loved it i loved taking my daughter to see it she watched original and everything so i mean it was it was a great experience and but chris hemsworth was hilarious in that if you watched the national lampoon vacation he was like the best part of that movie. I wasn't super crazy about that movie, but he was he was hilarious. So uh, you know, good luck to Chris Hemsworth, and uh, hopefully we'll, it'll be interesting to see what we do with Thor. You know, next time we see him, how is he going to change and, and everything? So we shall see. Indiana Jones five. The big talk is how they're going to use the D. I don't think this is a spoiler, but maybe it is, and not really. They're going to use a de aging technology on Harrison Ford for like the opening sequence, I guess. Cause he, he, Indiana Jones is supposed to be going against like Nazis or something like that. So I guess they're gonna do a flashback to like world war two or something like that. And we're going to see a young indie cause the movie is supposed to be taking place in the sixties. So we're going to see a flashback to a younger indie, maybe like an intro part. And they're going to use that. So that that's cool. And I, I'm sure some people are going to be complaining or, saying how the technology, you know, it's so bad, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think it, it'll be fun to, to, to see that. So I'm on board. Across the Spider-Verse, I don't think this is a spoiler, but apparently there's it's going to have six different animation styles, which we've kind of seen that in the, the clips that we saw before. Because the one part, I'm like, whoa, this looks really weird. Like, I, I if I recall correctly, because I, I didn't want to like watch it over and over again because I, I don't want to spoil things for myself. Well, I, I do this a lot where I watch a trailer when it first comes out and then I, I actually like forget like certain things and I don't want to go back and, and watch it again. But I think I remember like Spider-Man 2099 like being really like hulking massive. I was like, that's, he shouldn't be like that. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. But there, it's supposed to have six different animation styles because I think what's happened, I think the idea, and I didn't want to read too, too deeply into this because I don't want any spoilers, but they're going to like different multiverse different dimensions so i guess that each time they go somewhere else it's going to have a different animation style to reflect whatever the vibe of that world is and everything so that can be cool i i can't help but be skeptical and wonder is like is that to make it a little easier on a production side because you know the movie's already delayed and again i'm 100 percent on board delay the movie all you need to delay don't rush it and make it crap you know don't cut corners and you know, it the first movie was so amazing. I will wait another year, you know, whatever, however long we're waiting for this this movie. I will wait to have it as worthy as it should be. I, I'm totally down with that. You know, I don't want to wait like ten years or five years, but you know, you, you can't rush things. But I feel like by having six different styles, they can have maybe different 
different teams working on the different sequences. I don't know if that's the case or, or not. I have no idea what's going into the production part. But I thought I, I read something also, or I heard with the, the first movie, how they had to like, kind of like double or triple animate like some sequences just to kind of get the different colored whatever. I, I, I don't know if that made it take longer. I have no, what do I know? I know nothing. But okay, I, just you know, make it cool. That that's that's all, all I, I, I'm I'm down for. So we'll see. I and I just hope that the the different styles are cool. You know, it, it's gonna be it'll be a bummer if we get one that's like, eh, just I don't really like this so much. But I'm sure it'll, it'll all be awesome. There is a director for Blade, uh, Jan Demange Demange. He's he's a director. Uh, I at first I was like I haven't heard of anything that he's done. There's a movie called Seventy One, which is supposed to be really good. Um, White Boy Rick, but he also directed the first episode of Lovecraft Country, and he was an executive producer on there. So that obviously I have seen that first episode. I really like that first episode. I I like the show, but you know that first episode really stood out. You know, just setting everything up. Uh, so I'm I'm down with that. You know, hearing hearing that. He was involved with Lovecraft Country. That that makes me feel like okay, I'm actually a little more interested in this. And I, I forget the original director, like what their I was gonna say pedigree resume was, but I, I'm I'm inter- interested. So we'll, we'll see. I'm not super crazy about Blade. Yeah, I, I'm not like oh man, I can't wait for Blade. And I don't know. Part of it is just his appearances in, in Avengers comics, where he just has such like a a chip on his shoulder. He's just like so arrogant. I, I can totally appreciate that that Blade is a badass and you know he's kicking butt and all this stuff like that. But it, he's not like he's he's the the fighter supreme in the Marvel universe. But they just make him out to be this. And you know I hate to go down this road, but it's almost like that's what they're they're doing. They they did with Black Panther too. Because I I'm trying to think about like when when T'Challa first appeared, you know he was a formidable you know fighter and everything like that. But then slowly he started getting to be like better and better, and then he's like he's supposed to be the best fighter ever. So I I don't know. I always thought from from when growing up, it always felt like Captain America was like the best fighter because you know he's got the super soldier serum, so he's got you know enhanced strength you know he's a little stronger he's he's has above average strength he's got strength agility stamina and plus what i don't think people really think or talk about i could be wrong but you know his brain is affected as well and you know he's because he's got that strategic brain thinking mentality so i feel like he could go into a fight and and know how to take out this opponent and you know me especially it could almost be like the batman angle that and that's why they, they paired batman and captain america in the marvel versus dc comics back in the was it the 80s 90s 90s i think it was 90s but i i feel like especially if he's familiar with with the opponent he's going to know their weaknesses and he's going to know like where he could strike and like oh you know i'll hit the back of the knee joint or you know take out you know, which is maybe that's an obvious move or i don't know it's not my go-to move but and and you know the other thing i, I always say is throwing the shield and throwing the shield and making it bouncer you know you have to know the physics of that shield you know yeah obviously there's some training involved with it but a lot of it is 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 geometry is the reflection and how it's going to bounce and and 
it's not like, okay, if I throw it like this speed at this angle for my body, whatever, it's going to do this. You also have to know the environment. He has to know, like, am I am I going to bounce it off a wooden wall or a brick wall or, a you know, whatever, different thing, a, a lamppost or a telephone pole or a car? You know, he's he's got to be aware of, and then like how, how much force to throw. I, I like Captain America. So I feel like Captain America was always like the supreme fighter because he's got all these abilities and everything like that. But then it became like, oh, no, I think I am assuming now maybe T'Challa could take on Captain America. I have no idea. You know, and it always depends on who's writing the, the fight, you know, and or whose whose comic book title it is. You know, if it's if it's Captain America's book, he's probably going to win. If it's Black Panther's book, he's probably going to win. But then you never know. Sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to admit this. Anyways, I, I'm not the biggest Blade fan. I, I like the first movie, and I was okay with the second and third one. I know some people hate the third one. I haven't seen a third one in years. Maybe I should do that for like a, a secret podcast. Maybe I should watch those at some point, like you know, little by little, and, and just as we build up to the next movie. That that's something I should try to remember, but we'll we'll see about that. Anyways, new director for Blade. So yay! <laughs> uh, fingers crossed that it's good. I you want know, good things for that. Speaking of uh, Blade Three and um, Ryan Reynolds, uh, he uh, the news is he and it is that the way it's the headline is Ryan Reynolds co-wrote an unmade Deadpool Christmas movie. It's like uh, unmade. Wait, really? You mean he didn't make a Christmas movie? I just missed it. Of course, it's unmade. I, I, it's just weird that how they, they word that, that it's an unmade movie. It's like, obviously, there are only two Deadpool movies so far. So it's not like he made a Christmas movie and then it was just made in secret and then just never released. You know, they spent like millions and millions and millions of dollars to make this movie. And then we're like, yeah, we're not going to show it to anyone. Uh, hopefully it'll happen. Maybe with the success of, oh, if there's any success, hopefully... Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will be successful, and then they're like, "Hey, let's let's do a Deadpool movie." Now, obviously, with oh, I don't know who co-wrote it with Ryan Reynolds, so that could be an issue. You know, whether they're going to use that script or not, and you know, want to include that person, pay that person, can make a contract with that person. You know, that that could be an, another issue. Oh, also, what I was going to say is, you know, it also depends on what is the script involved, and and are there things that can be used and you know how much is going to be too. I, I hope hope we we see it I, I would be I would love that if we find out next year or whatever you know while they're doing Deadpool 3 try to film the, the holiday special as well just like you know they did with Guardians of the Galaxy they're working Guardians of the Galaxy 3 let's do the holiday special as well you know 45 44 minutes whatever boom there you go money in the bank I don't know uh, some sad news Jason David Frank Green Ranger, White Ranger, right? Uh, from Power Rangers, he he passed away. He or it's, un, it's un, more unfortunate. He took his life. It's, it's just oh man, it's just such a such a sad thing. You know, I I'm not a big I'm not a Power Rangers fan at all. I um, I like the the soundtrack. I had the soundtrack for the first movie. I watched the reboot movie. I just Power Rangers is just it wasn't my my if it wasn't the timing wasn't right for me to watch it you know i wasn't home to watch afternoon tv or whatever to get to get into this if i would have been younger i totally you know fighting big giant rubber monsters of course i would be totally into that 
so I know there's a lot, lots of fans, and you know, I've, I tried reading the, some of the comics, and especially the Kyle Higgins comics. But like I said, I just don't have that attachment to Power Rangers. But regardless of that, it's just when and whenever someone takes their life, I mean, it's it's so it's tragic, and it's just really sad that. You know, because he had things going for himself and, and, you know, whether it's just, you know, depression, mental illness or just what's going on. And it's like you never know. You know, I, I, I've seen so many people, you know, when, when this news came out, I saw a lot of people in my like my my timelines, you know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, people posting pictures with him, you know, from different conventions and running into him and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it just it's it's sad. So, uh condolences to you know family and friends and um it's just another reason you know, just try you, you can never really tell you know maybe sometimes you, you can see if someone's not happy but you know sometimes people put on a facade you know like i i will admit i am not always like overjoyed ecstatic with life but and and I, maybe it's a bad thing because i obviously i'm not gonna say oh i'm so sad today or this or that because you know the the idea is no one wants to hear. You know that's not that's not entertainment. That's not why people are listening. Maybe a small portion of you are willing to listen to like some of the insights of my life, but I'm I'm assuming some of the other people who may not have been listening to me as long or whatever, you want to hear the nitty gritty of of the content. You know that's why you're tuning in. I I don't know if there's like an interest in Tony's corner. You know what's going on in Tony's life and how's he's he's feeling, but. You know, I, I I will admit there there are times where yeah I I get get very sad or whatever or you know depressed maybe you know I don't aren't we all subject to depression I mean it it just seems like you don't necessarily have to be diagnosed with full on official depression you know it it hits everyone at different times for different reasons so just uh just try to hang in there and you know just you know try to find things that make you happy and and you know try to share sometimes with others uh, that's all i can say i guess uh moving on <laughs> to try to lighten it up a little bit peyton reed talked a little bit about uh king and it's it's like i th- i think this is kind of no-brainer but he's he's kind of saying how king is going to be kind of you know big things are coming for king and i know some people are, are maybe dismissing his appearance in ant-man and wasp because like oh it's, that's just a funny movie and just, you know whatever he's just a villain there but there's gonna be big things coming and i guess he's gonna be a little different obviously from when we saw him in loki season two and you know we have avengers king dynasty coming in 2025 so obviously there's gonna be like big huge things there as well so uh Keep an eye out for that. And uh, is uh, Jonathan Majors? Is that his name? I always want to say Lee Majors, but it's not <laughs> Lee Majors. It's the Pionic Man. Speaking, that just made me think about some audio. I tried looking up some audio, trying to find some old audio files that I, I talked about, but I didn't find all of them, and I didn't want to like spend, you know, all my time looking for it. But anyways, yeah, well, well I'm I'm looking forward to seeing King, and and different different. What am I talking? Interpretations, different incarnations. I don't know what I'm trying to say. The last bit of news, I debate about bringing this up. Quentin Tarantino, he's complaining about superhero movies, Marvel movies. And I get what he's saying, but basically he's 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 complaining about the genre and how people are so into that. But the the main thing that's that's rubbing people the wrong way is he he's saying that there are no actors in the Marvel movies. 
And which that seems like a huge insult to say where you're saying that if you're in a superhero movie, you're not an actor. And I think me, and I don't know if it's taken out of context of what was more was said. And, and, you know, I didn't see his like, or hear his, his full whatever about it, but he was saying that people go to the movies for the characters, that the characters are bigger than the actors. That may be true to some extent, but I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. It's, it's hard to say, you know, you, you look at, Something like Iron Man. I was never like a, the biggest Iron Man fan because especially like the way, although that might be because of Rob. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. really elevated the character. And you you look at how many people knew who Iron Man was before. Iron Man did have, you know, some animated series like in the 90s. And, you know, there's a Force Work series and, and that and obviously he had the, the animated one in the 60s. But he, it, well, he wasn't like a household name. And Robert Downey Jr. really brought that character to life is he to blame why uh tony stark's become like kind of a douchey in in the comics you know arrogant whatever maybe i don't know and then you look at thor how many people knew who thor was before the movies you know yeah you you know people might know oh he's a norse god and, and all this like that but i feel like chris hemsworth really brought him up chris evans he's not an actor i mean have you seen defending jacob that was the name of the show right the apple plus show He's such a you know great performance in, in there, and oh Samuel Jackson, he's not an actor. Scarlett Johansson's not an actor. I mean, it's just like Anthony Mackie's not an actor. Come on, man. And and uh, uh, Sam uh, Shang Chi, Limu, what's his name? I'm sorry, I forget. I'm horrible with names, but he he took offense to it because you know he's saying how. Marvel, you know, made him an actor, you know, had an actor with an Asian lead, you know, that's unheard of, you know, the, the, you don't have that very often. It's very few movies that, so it, it, it always sounds, you know, whenever you see like Quentin Tarantino talking about this or, or Martin Scorsese or James Cameron, whoever talking about it, it, it sounds like they're bitter. And, and I can see that, you know, you can't really compare to movies. So yeah, a Quentin Tarantino movie, maybe it's more style, maybe it's more art, you know, more, you know, whatever. But if, if people aren't into it, you know, that that's all, that's how, how it is. And you, I know the idea you make a movie, you want it to be a huge box office success, but often like the, the more artistic indie movies, they're not box office successes, you know, and you you look at the movies that are usually nominated for the Oscars or whatever, they're not the big blockbuster movies, which I always find that kind of kind of interesting. You know, what does that say where you look at the general populace's opinion versus the Academy? And, you know, you look at these movies that make millions and millions or billions of dollars at the box office, they're never nominated for hard length, anything. You know, maybe a technical or wardrobe or, you know, something like that. So I don't know. It it just I I just don't see why you want to complain about something that means a lot to people and and just flat out to insult them, the uh, people involved with it. You know, it, it takes a lot of work to to make those movies. It's it's not like you just open up a can and just pour it out into a pot and crank it up. That's it. And and it doesn't matter if it are CG stuff or whatever. That takes a lot of work too. You know, to make it look good. So whatever. But that that is going to be their whatever news for the week. And here, there's like no news, like maybe like like five, six pieces of, of news. And I'm just like 30, 30 minutes.
Ooh, happy holidays. With <laughs> what happened there? With comic books uh, at Image, there's a, a few stuff that I did not read that I intended to read. Creep Show number three. I'm, you know, I don't know how I I, I keep getting to issues and I I don't read them. I haven't read them yet. There's a Francesco Francavilla story, which that is 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 interesting, right right there. But I I think my 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 hesitation is horror comics sometimes fall flat. You know, it's really about the art and the colors, and that that makes a huge difference. Where you could have the coolest written story, but if the visuals don't work for me personally, because obviously this is all my my personal opinion. I'm not trying to knock anything, but it's it's just you got to be really careful there. So. I haven't been. I haven't. Re- I only read the first issue, and I only like the the first story in the first issue. Uh, Department of Truth number twenty two. I've been enjoying this. I didn't get a chance to wait. End of story arc. Uh, I don't even know what this issue is about. Department of Truth recruited in Black Hat. Tried to flip him. A monster from his childhood came to life to torment him. Cole Turner Turner has been pushed past his limit, and now that his husband's been dragged into this secret war, he's about to break. The most devastating arc yet in the Eisner-nominated series comes to a shocking conclusion. I mean, now I feel bad that I didn't read that because I'm really enjoying that. So you should definitely be reading that. Talk talk about art. Uh, this, this series, man. Um, Martin Simmons uh, is just crazy art. And then James Tynan. Man, James Tynan IV, nicest, sweetest guy. He writes some dark stuff. It's like, what the crap is going on, man? Um, I, 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 James is, is, is super cool. Um, eight million or eight billion genies, number six, six of eight comes out and things are, are getting kind of, you know, we're, we're starting, time is starting to pass. You know, we're, we're seeing like more the aftermaths of all the, these genies coming out. And I can't help now, but when I read this, I'm thinking about, man, I cannot wait till we get like a movie or TV series or whatever this, cause it's, it's such a interesting story. And it, I, I, so in case you were this first time you were listening, we talk about it. Uh, base everyone on Earth got their own genie, and um, it, it it created a lot of a lot of crazy things. You know, people just going you know all at once. Everyone gets one wish, and bad things happen. Uh, there was also the Image 30th Anniversary Anthology issue eight of twelve. I'm I'm a couple issues, at least a couple issues behind on that. I need to get caught up. Magic Order 3, number 5, came out. I don't even know how many behind I am on that, so I, I didn't check that out. Um, Silver Coin, Trade Paperback, Volume 3. I have read all those. That's amazing. That's another example. Uh, Michael Walsh's art and the colors is just like perfect for these creepy and horrific stories. And not like horrific in a bad way, but there's just... Uh, like some of them you know just it just the art is is just matches and that that's the other thing there's like so many you know each issue is pretty much a different writer you know michael walsh has written some himself as as well but you're you're getting all these different writers and his art is just matching up with it and it's just it it's great so you should definitely be reading that series vanish number three came out when i was reading this it was it was late at night and i was uh I'm still trying to get a, a, a grasp or a connection to this world and these characters. So I, I started losing a little focus. You know, there, there's there's not that there's a lot going on, but, you know, you got to keep certain things straight. And, and uh, I just I love the art. 
I mean, Ryan Stegman's art is just just amazing. So I I want to get into it more than I am, but I, I'm not like super duper into it. It's, I just love the art. Then we also had What's the Furthest Place from Here, issue eight. This, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember how the last issue ended. You know, we had a little break, you know, end of story arc and all that. So things are a little different. And um, we we do see some little moments like from when things first started and, you know, the, the changes in the world and everything like that. I, I just, I really intrigued with this story and, uh, I may not have necessarily loved this as much. Cause I'm like, wait, what happened to, you know, this character or this character, but now I'm just trying to remember like what, what did happen? And anyway, so, but I, I still, I love the series. So you should be checking that out as well at boom studios. Oh no. I don't know if I read anything from boom. What do I normally read? Uh, wait, okay, here's a first one. I don't know about this. Once upon a time at the end of the world. In this epic post-apocalypse... This is by Jason Aaron. Oh, yeah, I, I was I was looking at this. I was like, oh, maybe I should read this. Jason Aaron Alexandre... Well, I'll just see, um, see if it says there. In this epic post-apocalyptic tale, Mac Macao, Maceo and Mezzi have never met anyone like each other, and they'll need... All the help they can get to survive a planet ravaged by environmental catastrophe. This epic trilogy, each issue overflowing with 30 story pages, spans a lifetime as philosophical differences tear at the threads holding Masio and Mezzi together. Will they, and the earth beneath their feet, ultimately be torn apart? New York Times bestselling Eisner and Harvey award-winning and Marvel flagship writer Jason Aaron launches his most ambitious creator-owned series to date with the first of three unique artistic partners, Eisner-winning artist Alexandre Tefegi, who did The Good Asian. Oh, I, I really like that, that art. To take on a vision of the end of the world that's brutal and nostalgic, whimsical and grounded, and ultimately timeless. So sounds interesting. Uh, almost, but it, it kind of sounds like, oh man, that's going to be like, like kind of heavy, like a lot to read. So uh, you have to, have to check that out. Um, and then I feel bad because, uh, well, Dark Spice, wow, Dark Space's Wildfire is at issue five. I think, I don't think I've read three. I think I need to read three, four, and five. So that's the the, the series by Scott Snyder and Hayden Sherman. I, I'm, I'm intrigued with that one, so I, I need to get caught up on that. And in G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, issue 300. So this is... Part five of the the, the the story arc. It's the final GI Joe at IDW. I do we know where GI Joe is going next? Am I totally missing that? Um, I, I just that that's that's kind of a, a bummer that you know no more GI Joe. So stay tuned. Maybe if you know, <laughs> let me know. Where is GI Joe going? All right, at DC, we had Human Target, Issue 9. This is a... It's been an interesting... It's been a weird series. So, Human Target, not my favorite character... I I have no no attachment to him one way or the other. Only reason I'm I'm writing, you know Tom King is writing it, so you, you know there you never know what to expect. You know he always pulls out some crazy you know things or whatever, and he's he tends to be given almost free reign you know with the with the characters and maybe he you know he's like he picks more obscure characters whatever less mainstream characters to to do what he wants to do. But it's it's Greg Smallwood's art that is just blowing me away. 
So the whole idea here is is that human target uh, was poisoned. He's dying, and there's just some crazy things that have been happening. And I okay, the, you know, I, I'm I'm fine with that, and just seeing like the aftermath and like different things coming up. But I, I don't know. I I'm I'm am I am deeply intrigued, curious as to how this this, this series is going to end. So I guess you know you can say that. Punchline, the Gotham game issue two. Uh, so what was weird about this, you know, we, we got more punchline. I, I don't just, I feel like punchline is just over inflated and you, and it, it, some of it's even mentioned here. How was it in, in here? Where it was mentioned? Cause you know, she just basically started having her obsession with, with the Joker or just being active for just a couple years, if, if even that, you know, she was a college student that wanted to do some things. And it, I just feel like she's just like formidable, you know, she's fighting hand to hand with like everyone who's been doing this for like decades or whatever. And now, you know, she's able to fight against anyone that just, I, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. And just how she's, it's, she had like secret luck powers that she's able to survive everything. So I don't know how you really feel about this, but there are some ties to like stuff that's happening in Catwoman as well, where, you know, like I mentioned last week's Catwoman issue, she's on the cover. She's like not even in, in the issue. Uh, so we have, and then it's, 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 in, you know, Batman is, is t- Dick Grayson's Nightwing is hanging out in the Batcave with Batman, which seems weird. It's like he has Bloodhaven and he's hanging out with Barbara and he has his dog to take care of, and he's just hanging out with Bruce. And it it felt like I don't I don't know why they used him and not even like well, I mean Tim Drake, although Tim Drake is living in a boat in a marina now or something. It just I, I don't know. And Punchline's been hanging out with the the Royal Flush Gang, and I I just don't know. But there, there's something I don't know. Maybe it's like the the use of the purple and just the, the character design. There is something I admit that I find a little intriguing. I just don't like her portrayal. I I don't buy it. It just seems like too much. So I don't know. Batman Fortress issue seven. So more. It, it feels like not a whole lot happens here. I mean, there's more with Batman and his his team trying to access the fortress of solitude there's been like this alien invasion whatever superman is you know where superman they they need help and so batman is teaming up with lex luther president lex luther and lex is i am really starting to get annoyed with with lex like the way he is here and like one of the things that happen is they they come across a a jor-el crystal video and he's you know the message to the to, to call so they, they get it translated you know whatever and he he's talking about how basically his his family is the the cause of the destruction of krypton or whatever you know different things like that so lex takes this he's like oh his family's war criminals you know everyone should know about this and blah 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 and it's just like lex you're such a idiot such a it's so annoying so petty and just so so dumb i just cannot stand lex luther it's like you are the biggest baby because 
you have no superpowers and Superman, you know, people love him and they don't love him. Lex Luthor. No one's ever going to love Lex Luthor. They don't adore. It's like, I just, yeah, he's just annoying. And then, so, you know, you got all this like that. There is a, a crazy, we do like, what's up with Superman? Where is Superman? We, we get some answers here. So you want to see that action comics, 1049. Speaking of Lex Luthor, Lex is, pure on evil back to being evil again which is weird how you know i know he's always been evil but there's a while where you know he was in the justice league he was he was obviously he had some different motives and everything but he he was kind of being a hero and and even recently with like the batman incorporated stuff you know talking with you know his interaction with with bruce wayne there wasn't quite you know supreme evil but now you know, he's he's basically blackmailing John Corbett, uh, Metallo, and he's just so arrogant and just so. Uh, I just I, I can't stand him. And and then there's stuff with uh, the some of the, the the two kid aliens that Superman saved on War World, where the new gods are like Orion and all them they want him because he has some power does something and whatever and so i don't know but we get some cool superman stuff like he he shows off something and all that which i was one other thing totally unrelated what kind of unrelated what i didn't mention in news tom taylor posted uh i must must hit the news i don't, don't know if i get a press release about it apparently dc's restoring superman and jonathan's secret identities somehow i have no idea how but i'm super excited i always feel like that could be an off my mind like i definitely i i feel have i ever talked about the whole secret identity i feel like i don't know if i did or not because i definitely have have thoughts about that have i talked about that because i i feel like i I did like i went off on, on a bit about i don't think i wrote an idea or wrote an idea i don't think i wrote an article i, I don't know i feel maybe i did I feel like I, I spent time just focus on, on that and I could easily talk about that some more. So maybe I'll do an off my mind. I don't know if does anyone care for an off my mind on that. You know, again, you have to be an, a, a patron, Patreon supporter, which would be awesome. Um, moving on. Tim Drake, Robin, issue three. Oh my goodness. I, I like Riley Rosmo's art. I, I like him as an artist. I, I, I think it's... Uh, very stylistic, very cool, you know, the dynamics and the, the fluidity of the characters and how, you know, everything. But for some reason, Tim Drake has a weird shaped head. It's almost like a like a lima bean or, or something. Is it lima bean is what I'm talking about? Regular bean, kidney bean? Maybe kidney bean, I'm thinking. I don't know. And I don't like his haircut, which, you know, maybe that's a silly thing. But with the, these comics, there's so many different variant covers. You look at the variant covers, and some of them are like flashback covers. Like, you know, Todd Nock does really great. You know, it's like Young Justice, uh, the, the comic series, not the animated, you know, Tim Drake. And, uh, you know, it's always been kind of like messy, sticking up or whatever a little bit. And we just get here. It's it's like it's glued to his skull. There's, there's like nothing. It's almost like he's bald. And with a hairstyle like that, and then all he's wearing is a little mask. His his boyfriend doesn't even recognize him. You know he's he's like Robin is on the run. He's like, oh hey my my, my boyfriend has a boat over here. You can just hide out here. 
And he's like sitting right next to him. And it's not like it's dark, you know, pitch black in there. It's like, how do you not recognize that that is Tim Drake? It just, uh, I don't know. And, but aside from that, it's just, it just does not feel like Tim Drake. And it has absolutely nothing to do with him being bisexual. I just feel like his portrayal, his his thought, his his monologue, his way of thinking has changed. And maybe he's liberated his feelings and he's not repressing what he thinks. So he's the floodgates are opening. He's looking at things differently. But I just feel like just the way he's talking, communicating. And, you know, yeah, there's different artists or different, I mean, different writers are going to, you know, write their the, the voice differently. But it just feels like such a drastic change. It just doesn't feel like Tim Drake. And even like the stories, like he wants to get away from Bruce Wayne, so he's gonna live in a boat, a rundown boat that's kind of souped up on the marina. But it's like he hasn't been living with Bruce Wayne for a while. I don't even know where he's been doing, where he's been living, where he's been staying. But it's like all of a sudden he wants this big supper. Why does he want to be separate? Why is he mad at, at Bruce Wayne? Why does he want to be separate? It's like he's been doing his own thing. He was even gonna, gonna go away to the school, but then decided not to and. I'm so confused. It's like, is is there like another comic series that I'm just not reading that I'm missing? Like all these different changes, whatever. But I again, I, I if people are, are loving it, that's awesome. You know, it's just I'm I'm not loving it. But and just like Harley Quinn, did I even read Harley Quinn? Oh, we get <laughs> we get. <laughs> this is the last page. Oh my gosh! If you if you read Harley Quinn. If you got to the last page, you know why I am cringing so hard with who pops up on the, on the last page. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just, oh, I, I, and I can't spoil it because it's the last page and I refuse to spoil a comic that much. But, man, oh, I, I, I'm going to move on. <laughs> I can't I can't even say I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, Detective Comics. 1066 my big problem here is we have some two-face stuff here and it's just he was just in task force z where he's like basically being a good guy you're trying to be you know he has his own scheme and everything and now it's it's where's the continuity and that's just it it drives me nuts there is a, a cool scene of Batman uh, like jumping through the sky, gliding through the sky, and next to this like, some big smokestack, and you got cool swirls of smoke or clouds in the background. But then he's got this huge like Todd McFarlane cape, which is like insane. There is no way his cape could retract to be that long. It is an awesome visual. I love that. Like if there was no text on that, you know that that could even be like a cool like phone like screensaver, you know whatever wallpaper. But it's just it's so 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 crazy long, and I just don't know the story. I I just I'm having such a hard time getting into it for some reason. I I don't know. It's it's weird because I've I've always been reading Batman, you know, and Detective Comics, but I'm just struggling with that. Deathstroke. Ink 15, it's uh, more on a flashback. Interesting story. I'm confused why this isn't Batman or Deathstroke. Did I say Deathstroke Ink? I, I don't think I said Batman. I don't understand how this is Deathstroke Ink. This is just like Deathstroke Year One, which is, is fine and cool. But yeah, 
so more on on his uh, first mission, whatever, and just dealing with everything. DC versus Vampire issue eleven. So more on they're they're playing they're trying to get Supergirl uh, to expose to, to get her to the sun or out in space or, you know be, beyond the all the, the clouds covering the, the planet and everything like that so she can be powered up but obviously they, they need to be sneaky and so different people are gonna have to cause distractions and there could be sacrificing a life so to try to make things you know happen and, and so forth but uh i i just i'm back i i love this it's the otto Sch- schmidt art because like some of the the, the other DC versus vampires, just I, I don't. I, it's hard for me to get as excited, and I don't think it has anything to do with the writing. So I don't know. Maybe it's just the visuals for me. Then um, Dark Crisis, Dark Army. Oh, <laughs> I was like, did I read this? I did read this, and um, the main thing <laughs> that that bothers. So it's weird because it feels like this is this should have happened like a month ago this book or whatever but there's you know big fight going on damien has a plan there's like certain people he wants to go on this mission but he has to like adjust some things and then one person gets accidentally tags along they have sideways here which is cool because we haven't seen sideways and i can't remember last time but we get this character red canary where'd she come from I, I don't really know. But what the, the thing that gets me is like the first six pages we have art by Freddie E. Williams II, which is really cool. And then, so Freddie does page one through six and then 22 to 40. Then we have Jack Herbert doing page seven to 21. But what happens is we get Damien and, you know, Freddie Williams drawing the Damien's. It's cool and everything like that. But then on page seven, it's almost like Damien turns into an adult teenager. And it's just like, what? It's, it's just a different an art style. I feel like someone didn't communicate well that Damien is only like, how old is he now? I mean, he should only be like 12 or 13. And they, they keep, they're aging him too too fast. You know, he, he should, you can't have real time happen in comics because... You know, it just it can't because you look at the longevity of the story arcs and characters and everything. But that was just a huge distraction. It's like huge, and even Red Canary looked like she got older. I'm like, did something happen? Did they go through another dimension and now suddenly they're older? It just really took me out out of out of the story. Uh, and then uh, that was it. There's a see Batman Gotham Knights Guild of City two. I didn't read that. Over at Marvel, can't remember if I read everything here. We had uh, All Out Avengers issue three, and this is so the the thing with All Out Avengers, the uh, the cool thing and the kind of distracting thing is each issue throws you in the middle of a fight. You know, you you don't see the idea is you get straight to the action. You don't have to wait. You know, the big long build up and setting things up. It's just like boom, here we are. How is this going to end? There's there's some cool you know uh, things elements to that, but it, it also feels I don't know, it feels like you're cutting corners and it feels like okay we don't we're just gonna we just do the action part boom, and where this is only the third issue but it feels like it's the I think is getting old a little bit because someone is narrating it we don't know who and you know I don't necessarily want to know right away because I think that could take the fun out of it and and the appeal of of it but. 
every, like, people are forgetting, they're losing memories, or their memories are getting like erased. Something's happening. Like a lot of times when, when they're middle fight, they're like, wait, I don't even know how we got here. <laughs> we don't even know how to get there. It feels like it's being lazy. But there's some big conspiracy where things are, are being erased. Like Tony Stark discovered it last issue. He tried, you know, his, his armor um, recordings had been, you know, tampered somehow. And, you know, he had no idea what's going on. And, and uh, it, the, like, they're teaming up with Red Skull in, in this issue. And then it comes up to him. They're like, do you remember how we got here? And he's like, no. So they're like, wait, what are we doing? So I don't, I don't know. But I, I'm curious to see, you know, where that's going to go. I just, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue 14. Oh, I do know how I felt about this. I am not on board with this. Oh, man. I just, so we got Ben, quote unquote, air, super duper air quotes, Ben Riley on the cover. Chasm. Oh, my God. What the, what is going on? So, following the events of the Beyond uh, story arc, Ben lost some of his memories. He so now apparently he doesn't remember anything, but he knows Peter Parker. He at least remembers that that part of it. So he he's angry because he feels like his memories were taken from him, and then he's like teaming up with Madeline Pryor. Because you know she she was just kind of given limbo by magic, you know. So she's like ruling limbo, and they're like, okay, you can you know you can have it, and be here. And it's it's a lot. It's coming up where they, they have this connection because they're both clones, and there's other people who have like their the lives that they want. And so Ben kind of convinces her that they they could work together, help each other out, and you know because maybe Madeline can get the Jean Grey life that she wants, but I don't don't know. And I just, oh my gosh, I just, I just, I don't like, this makes no sense. This is not Ben Riley. This is absolutely not Ben Riley, and and it makes me angry. Or not, that's not necessarily make, I think I'm beyond angry. It just really bums me out. It, it, It makes me sad in a way, because I don't understand why we can't have straightforward Ben Riley. You know, because he he wasn't like an exact copy of Peter Parker. He was t- almost maybe that was a problem, but there was a different things. And you know, you could have married Peter Parker, you could have single Ben Riley. And I always said, move Ben Riley to the the East Coast, put him in San Francisco, put him in Los Angeles somewhere. You know, you can have Spider Man both coasts and different things. And you know, if we can have Miles Morales Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man in New York City, why can't we have Ben Riley Spider-Man somewhere else? <sighs> I just, I, I don't understand. I do not understand. Um, I don't, also don't understand Avengers Forever issue eleven. Uh, I, I just not sure what's going on here. Um, I have lost interest. I, I can't get into it. Daredevil issue five is ambitious you know all the stuff this war with the hand you know daredevil and electra and you know they've gathered some people they're like with the fist now and just doing big big crazy things what we do the highlight here they so they go to this prison in the middle of the like the ocean it's kind of like the not it's not even like it's like the raft times a hundred and there's some people that they need to get 
but uh, John Walker, U.S. Agent's there, and we get Daredevil versus U.S. Agent, which is a very cool fight because you know John Walker is such a such a piece of crap, and so it's uh, interesting to see how they fight and just the different styles because like John is just so aggressive so gung-ho you know he doesn't really think things out and that's the difference between john walker and steve rogers because you know steve rogers will you know get a lay of the land or whatever and and, you know figure things out not just uh, i'm super strong whatever so i can just go and start smashing things it's like no that doesn't work it's not a good idea so that's worth reading because of that deadly uh neighborhood spider-man i was so confused by the first issue it just seemed weird you know you got Peter Parker in the West, you hear Peter Parker in the West Coast, but with living in a house, like a tech house with other people, and they know that he's Spider-Man. It's just, it's like some weird nightmare thing. I, I don't even know what, what's going on there. There was an interesting uh, Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise by Tradmore, written and drawn by Tradmore. I, I really wanted to get into this. This is, I think this is just a first issue. It's a uh, you know, first issue, like 30 pages. Uh, Tradmore has very, you know, intriguing uh, art style, but w- when I, I'm, I think the part of my problem, my the thing is, I'm, I'm very selective with my Doctor Strange stories, you know, because I, I don't absolutely love the character, so it really depends on what the setup is, and when this starts off, you know, Doctor Strange wakes up and he's like some other weird alternate world or something like that, and that right there kind of takes me off. I don't want to see doctor strange out and some magic dimension somewhere like that because i it's just hard for me to connect just like i don't really like thor stories when he's in asgard i like him on earth and i i don't, I don't know but the other thing is doctor strange he's got like super long hair again it's artistic license choice or whatever and that just kind of pulled me out a little bit so i, I don't know maybe I, I need to go back and try to give it another another shot but it was hard for me to uh, Genesville Captain Marvel issue five. I think this was this the last issue, but we we get there. Something happens with Marlo. Marlo, uh, what's her last name? Not Marlo Thomas. Marlo. So Rick's wife, Rick Jones' wife, Marlo, who she was dating the Hulk when he was Joe Fixit and all that. We find you know we we found out where she's been in this series, but then she makes a decision or something happens and. I don't know about that. And it's it's just weird because reading this, you know, Peter David's writing it and it almost felt like this is uh, like symbiote suit Spider-Man or, you know, Maestro Hulk, you know, like these stories that are taking place like in between issues from earlier runs. It almost felt like that because, you know, we have them back, but I'm pretty sure this is like in current continuity. I don't know what this means for Rick Jones and uh, Jenis, Jenis Vell. Will we see more? And, it, it, it seems like a waste not to use the characters, but, you know, I guess it really depends on what what do you want to do with this character. So we'll have to see if we get more of that. Midnight Suns issue three. I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this. You know, I, I like the idea of the, the book and the, the, the characters involved. I, I like, I think I pretty much like all the characters involved, except it wasn't played here. But the, the problem is... I'm almost like, what? What is the point of this? And and it, it's weird that Wolverine's there, and he's even like, why am I here? Because you know he's not a magic person. 
uh, but we do have magic. And it's also weird. Nico from Runaways is is here. You know, she's teaching at, at the Strange Academy, but then you look at how just not that long ago in Runaways, it just it seems like she has the you know her family like Molly and them to take care of. So I don't know, but it's like stuff happening in this, not. I I don't know. I'm 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 kind of asking myself, what's the point? Like, where where is this going to go? Even though it's connected to different things, especially with the Strange Academy books. Then there's a Star Wars Revelations. Um, I started reading this and then just started skimming it, and it just it started feeling more like old Star Wars comics versus like the current uh, comics that are closer to actual canon you know we just i i'm not like super crazy but like bounty hunters the uh, what's bash what's his name because to me he doesn't feel like a star wars character like it would be hard to envision him in live action or whatever i just feel like having a cyborg character just i don't know doesn't fit feel right to me but we're getting different things and i know this is supposed to be an important uh, book to set up different things, but it's just hard for me to get into. And again, maybe it was just I'm reading it late at night, and you know I'm just tired from trying to cram everything in in, in such a short period of time. I don't I'm not giving myself the time to really digest it all. I don't know. Then there was uh, Star Wars Yoda. I was a little hesitant about this. I was like, okay, is this is this going to be a comic that delivers some more insight into Yoda, or is this just going to be like a regular generic? Star Wars comic featuring a character that we all love. Uh, so it's written by Kevin Scott, and, he, and he's been doing some some cool Star Wars stuff. You know, really digging into like new characters and establishing things. You know, the the High Republic, right? Is that what what he's doing? And uh, so it it is a, a flashback Yoda story, obviously, and um, it's it was interesting. So I, I'm curious to see where this is going to go. It, it 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 could go both ways where it could be really cool or it could just be like okay that's that's fine you know it could be all right so we'll, we'll see um x force i just realized i didn't read x force uh i don't think i read x force 34 um i oh no yeah i didn't read it just flipped through it my, my problem is it, it just this is getting to be a weird book you know i i don't like the way Maverick's been handled here and you know he's just like big jerky character which maybe he always was and then we have uh what's her name Sage you know when did Sage become such a like raging alcoholic I don't remember her drinking all the time before and you know maybe it's her way to just deal with you know her brain being like a living computer or whatever it is and it just, I don't, I don't know. It just, it, it's like all she's doing is drinking and just being bitter and complaining. And uh, I don't know. Uh, then we have X-Men 17, where here, this is dealing with the stuff in the vault. Um, something big happens here. And I'm really curious. To, uh, hope, I mean, we got to see some repercussions with what forge discovers there and what he brings out of the vault i don't know if that's because he's, he's going he's the, the, the idea is oh darwin is still alive in there we got to rescue him you know what's going on and you got the, the whole aspect where time 
goes you know passes differently there it happens like a lot faster because sink went in i forget who went, i don't think darwin was with them was it darwin sink and and laura x23 wolverine whatever you want to call her and just with all the the, the time that they spent there like sink and and laura they ended up getting in a relationship you know they're they're they were there for so many years and you know with laura's healing factor you know she could live longer and then sink could just like sink with her whatever and and not age as, as much so there's a whole thing and then when they they come out you know he has memories of, of everything like that but she doesn't remember any of that so you know he's been dealing with all that so it's just interesting and then these uh, children out of vault or whatever they're called i don't care for them they're so incredibly super powered forge is being such a big jerk too with like how he's using uh, Caliban's powers, and he's just—it's so <laughs> like Forge and, and Sage should get together. There's just such such jerks. I don't know. And uh, but other than that, I mean, it's Jerry Duggan's writing, so you know, there's definitely some some interesting things. But unfortunately, that is it for comics. So I, I'm gonna end on that note. Where it's a book that I was just. Uh, at least I didn't end with uh, X-Force, I guess. So, so there's that. That's comics for the week. Right with it. <laughs> The Peripheral, Season 1, Episode 6. Uh, fudge you and eat poop. But that's not really what the title is. It's something similar to that. You'll see why. It starts off Texas Outback 2028. We see some soldiers camped out with rifles. It's actually Burton and the others. They're they're staring at a wounded dog. So we saw that uh, in the flashback last episode, where like the wounded animal is is supposed to trigger them to try to get them the to, like to basically flush themselves out. So the dog is just whimpering and whining, and they're they're talking about how they haven't taken fire in 19 days. So they they think that there's no one there. So Connor like winks at Burton. He like runs down, and you know Burton's like calls after him. He runs into clearing. And there's like nothing there or whatever. So the dog is is wrapped in barbed wire, which which is horrible. And you know, Connor starts like snipping at it and he jokes about like like, oh, look at all the sniper fire that I'm not taking, whatever. Then he as he gets to the, the barbed wire by the dog's collar, he sees just like some wiring and there's a, 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 a it goes into inside the dog. There's like they someone put a bomb inside the dog, like surgically put it in there. You can see like wires coming out of like a stitch he like curses it and blows up and connor like wakes up with a scream he's lying in burton's trailer and burton goes like to, to calm him down we see how connor lost his his two legs and arm then we see some lady her ainsley lobeer she's walking it looks like maybe off the coast of scotland or somewhere she's like with her dog this other lady cop beatrice is there it's weird because in the book as I, I mentioned, I, I'm listening to the audiobook. Lobier has been present earlier than where we're at. So it's just whatever, different things are weird. So we'll get more about Lobier later. So Beatrice is there to talk to her, and, and Lobier says that she assumes this is about the recent disturbance at the research institute, because, you know, but she's on this walkabout. She's not supposed to be disturbed or whatever. But Beatrice says that there's been a murder in Sackville Street involving a peripheral and a coid. The sort of the victim is a research institute's head of security, Daniel Cook. Lobiers says that she knows Daniel, or she knew him, and and then the the landscape kind of shimmers, and it turns out she's actually on a rooftop in the city, so she wasn't really out there. 
So this is what's weird about this whole world. It's like, is anyone anywhere where they're really at? And I still question, as we saw with Sharice last episode, are all these people like, like, I wonder, is Wilf really in his own body? I'm, I'm almost positive he is, but it feels like there's one scene, but I think it was just the way it was edited. There's like two different scenes. It almost feels like everyone is sitting somewhere like hunkered down in a, like their basement or in a, a peripheral, but. That's not necessarily the case. So Tommy's talking to a reception at the station about the SUV reports he put in a couple days ago that were cloaked with some like chromatic tinting, whatever. She's like, I don't know what that is, but you know, she's looking at her computer. She says she doesn't see it. And then she kind of makes fun that his invisible cars are now missing. Then she's like, how hard did you, did you hit your head? And when he got hit in his, his accident, he wants to check the lot, but she's like, you know, she's like, you know, I can't do that. She can't give him the key because of chain of custody. But she gives him the file to take to Sheriff uh, Jackman. So I guess if he fills out, you know, he can ask him to get permission or whatever. Then um, his nose starts dripping blood. So on, on, on this form, he goes in the bathroom, cleans up. The sheriff actually comes in with a newspaper. And he's like, oh, I was sure I sent you home, Tommy. And he says that he's just tying up loose ends. Sheriff mentions Tommy put in his report that he didn't remember much from the incident. And Tommy says, yeah, it was, you know, it was a bit foggy. Sheriff then says that he needs Tommy to take some time off, paid leave, of course. So he's like, you know, just rest up and get your head right. And Tommy's like, well, the demand is loose and he was on my watch. Sheriff says like, well, I'm well aware of that. And, you know, he, he talks some more or whatever. But then he's like, well, okay, now I'm going to go take care of my business. So he goes and sits in the stall. And Tommy's like finishing, like washing up his face and everything. And then he looks in the mirror. He sees the sheriff's boots, like his feet from sitting in the stall, he recognized them as the feet that came and dragged Bob, the prisoner, away when he was like upside down in his car after the crash. So the sheriff is involved. In the future, Wolf talks to Flynn after she went to confront Sharice. She looks at him and she's like, you're just a normal guy, aren't you? Or ain't you? <laughs> and she talks about how things aren't that different from her time. She thought that, you know, they would be better. Then she's like, you know they're 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 by the the London the Tower Bridge, and like by by the river the Thames, and she's like, how come people around stay so distant from us? She's like, is it a health thing or something? He's like, you know they never wander close, and he's like, uh, because it's not real, it's an augmentation. So he tells her to do like some like hand motion thing with her finger, and then the people are gone. He says it's technology developed by the research institute, and she's like, why? And he says, mood enhancer. He makes the world less bleak. So she asks, is everything else real? And he says that some of the buildings are filled in, ones that they haven't gotten around to refabricating yet. So he shows her this other motion. And then some of the, the buildings kind of like lessen like across the river a bit. And it's not like hugely drastic. You have to look carefully, but you can see there is a, a difference. And she's like, oh my God. She's like, if the RI is doing this stuff out in the open, what are they doing in secret? They walk and she says that Cherie said that she copied data from her that night, that she stole it, that she's going to keep trying to kill her until she gets it back. And Wolf says the fabricator they're going to see might be able to help because he built Alita's peripherals for her. So it's possible he knows where she is. He knows that it's him based on the implants that he removed. So she asks if he has one of these and he's like, yes. And then Flynn says that night Alita pressed her eye against a scanner. If she felt something. She's like, is there any way Alita could have downloaded data into a stub? And Wolf says, theoretically, but 
she would need to download it into something in Flynn's world. But, you know, what? They'd have to ask her. So they go into this, it looks like a butcher shop or something like that, because there's there's a couple working there. Uh, their names are Reggie and Abigail, according to the Amazon X-ray thing. So the dude's like, what'll it be? And Wolf's like, toad in the hole, please. And the couple kind of look at each other. And then the, the dude, Reggie, he's like, we don't carry that. He's like, there's a special on pork today, though. You know, I would recommend that. Wolf's like, oh, that's a shame. He's like, uh, we had our heart set on toad in the hole. We've been assured it's your specialty. And then the lady like, kind of leans on the counter. She has a knife in her hand, like casually in her hand. And she's like, oh, you look like a lovely young couple. You know, you might want to be on your way before someone gets hurt. And Reggie agrees. He's like, hmm. So Flynn's like, now, what do you think of me, mister? He's like, well, I don't know you from Eve. And she's like, well, the guy who built this, he assured me it was better than anything you could ever do, even in your prime. And he's like, in my prime? And she's like, yeah, before your craftsmanship started to slip. He's like, obviously, he's getting insulted. She's like digging at him and he starts getting angry. She says that she's she's not saying that she believes him. She's just repeating what this guy said. And she says that he promised her her money back if she could prove him wrong. So she figured, why not give him a shot to prove that he still got it? Then everyone just kind of like looks at each other. And Reggie's like, I don't come cheap. And Wolf's like, money won't be an issue. So Reggie puts a clothes sign in the window. They go in the back. He checks out like Flynn's eyes and ears, whatever. He, t- he talks about being able to put like an add-on on, onto her, like retractable titanium nails. And she's like, what about the eyes? And he says, any fool can augment eyes. And he's like, you know, what do you want? Night vision, thermal? She's like, what if I want to replace one with a human eye? And then he like slowly moves back and grabs a butcher knife and he attacks. She like dodges. Abigail attacks too. Wolf's just like hanging back. Then Flynn like dodges and hits. She takes a couple of kicks. She keeps fighting and she starts uh, starts like getting used to it, starts kicking butt, eventually gets a knife away from Abigail, hits Reggie, Reggie with, with the handle, like I kiss him and I think in the throat one time, but she's like careful not to hurt them. You know, she's hitting with the butt of, of the knife. And then she ends up like, you know, flipping him, slamming him down, you know, gets the knife to his throat a couple of times, but then she's like, you know, holding him down, pinned down with the knife to his throat. And then she's like, get up. She gets him into the chair that she was sitting in when he was like looking her over. Then Abigail like grabs this ax and like goes up to, to Flynn, splits, spits blood in her face. And then Flynn like pins her back. And then like the blade is to her wrist because she won't let go of the ax. And Reggie's like, oh, why don't you give it a rest before you get us both killed? So then Wolf pulls up a whole of Alita, asks them to tell him about this woman. And Flynn's like, you can start talking, Reggie, or I can start cutting. He's like, choice is yours. Wolf kind of hides a, like, a little smile you know, at, at her actions. Then Reggie's like, what do you think they'll do to me? And he's like, who? The neoprims. They don't muck around with something like this. He says that they'll cut his tongue off if, if he like, says anything. Wolf's like, well, what do the neoprims have to do with this? And Reggie like, kind of sighs. He says that she had him build it so someone could carve out its eyes, put a, uh, in a human one. Who else but a neoprim would know how to do that? Like old time surgery with a scalpel. So obviously they know they're talking about Alita. Then they're about to leave. And, you know, Wolf's like, oh, you can't go out like that because she's got like blood in her face. He starts like, it's, it's weird because he starts like slowly, like gently wiping her face. Like, couldn't she like wipe her own face? I mean, maybe there's no mirror around. It was almost kind of like intimate because of how close they were. And he's like kind of holding her face. 
And she's like, you never told me Alita was a neoprim. And he's like, I didn't know. Then Flynn's like, asks if, if he told her, told Alita what he did when he took over school. And he like, doesn't answer. And then she just like, kind of takes his hand. She's like, I'm sorry. Whatever. And then their faces are like very close. This is almost like, like they're about to kiss or something. But then the scene changes. So we see Connor outside. Uh, he must have been at Jimmy's, the, the, the bar or whatever. He has his, his little electric chair thing, and it hooks up to like the, the front part of the. So he has his. It's. I think it, it also it's almost like his chair has one wheel, and it hooks up to the front part of the cart has two wheels, so it becomes a three wheeler. But his obviously his chair is not just on one wheel, so maybe there's two, or it's just a thick. I don't know. But he goes to hook up his chair to the the engine part. It's but it, it won't hook up so something's off so he has to get off his, and so again keep in mind he's got no legs he's got one arm so he's off his chair he's on the ground he's like you know trying to he, he's very handy you know considering which you know you, you have to learn to which is admirable so he's like you know trying to work on everything like that he gets like frustrated throws like a, a wrench you know across the way and then macon 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 i think his name is macon he comes out out of like the print shop gets on his bike and he like rides over to the to the bar then he's like oh i didn't see you there and connor's like you know looks up and he's like someone call you and he's like oh no i was i was just gonna get he's like get a what because <laughs> obviously he's like too young or he doesn't drink he's like a, a coffee then he's like yeah okay they did call me and connor's like that's interesting he's like why don't they just come out themselves <laughs> and he's like yells out loud and macon's like what well, maybe they're they're scared to come out and connor's like he asked him he's like you ain't scared he's like well no yeah, just maybe a little bit <laughs> and connor kind of laughs so they, they work on it he's like well i think there's a wrench over there under that, that truck <laughs> so they, they get it fixed he hook, hooks up and macon's like Any, do you need anything else and connor's like I need you to tell me about that tech Flynn's been using. He's like, uh, well, he's like stammering some more. And he's like, you know, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I, I think that I should ask Flynn and Burton what I can be sharing. So Connor says that he's like, I used it, the headset. He's like, Burton knows. He's like, it's real, right? He's like, Flynn's piloting a real body in a real place. And Macon says that, that that's my understanding. So Connor asks, if there's a time limit and Macon's like, I, I don't know. He's like, well, you got to pee, eat and drink and all that. And Connor says that he was basically more or less comatose for eight months. He had a, a catheter for the peeing IV for the dr drinking tube for the, the eating. He says if, if someone could make him a body, could he um, and Edward, the other guy set him up to live in that place. And Macon says he's not a doctor, but he doesn't think that his real body would take too kindly to that. And you know, he just doesn't know how long he'd last is what he's saying. So then Connor, he's like, you're about as, as smart as they come around here. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, you are. He's like, but you never imagine what it's like to wake up in a body like this. It's probably because you ain't tried, you know, but think about it for a bit. We'll have this conversation again. And then he leaves. We see Ash is making a peripheral for Connor because, you know, she's looking in this little like, <laughs> like a crystal ball orb thing. And it's like looking at his like brain scans and all this stuff, whatever like that. Uh, and then like in this like bathtub with like some like reddish pinkish liquid order there's like a burton one i don't know if it's like nutri nutri nutrients because they said something that it has to hydrate or something so they're making peripherals for for burton and connor but then we see tommy's at like the urgent care place and you know so his fiance Dee's, you know checking him out 
he's got this headset on and he's supposed to like track this ball to test his vision whatever but then he gets kind of like a flash of a car flipping he like sits up like a rocket and then he's he's like oh i'm fine he's she's like well there's a, a jitter in your eye movement and she's like with your dizziness you know you're you're concussed you probably whiplash she's like i'm gonna need a take a ct scan he's like well I, i've been hit harder in high school you know i have to get to it and she's like well that's smart and he, he's like i gave the fishers my word he's like i told him i'd handle this and she says, given what's happened, he needs to let that go. He's like, that was my arrest. It was He was in my custody. It's like, I can't just let that go. And she's like, you almost got killed. And she's like, you know, maybe that should be a bigger concern here. He says that, you know, he is concerned because he needs to find that the SOB who did this. And she's like, we both know who did this. She says that he's acting like the frog who took the scorpion across the river and, you know, got stung or whatever. She, he says what do you want me to do? And she's like, take the medical leave from the department, lay low. She's like, my two-year obligation here is almost up. She's like, I can find work anywhere. He's like, this is my home. He's like, I grew up in this town. He's like, I, you know, I've worked here. And she says, then he knows who's controls the town. And he, he just, you know, told him that he's a scorpion. You know, he told Tommy that. So he says, he's like, well, I ain't running from this. And he starts to leave. Then we see Corbell pick it. We haven't seen him lately. He's cooking. His his wife Mary during the kitchen talking. Bob, the the assassin dude, he's sitting. He's unconscious in a chair. He starts to wake up, and Corbell's like, "Oh, just in time." He put a plate like some some meat in front of him, and he says that he's. I was like, "We took some liberties with you since you were delivered to us in a unsavory state." He said they put like fresh clothes on him and so forth. So he'll have to get used to the collar. He's got this like shot collar basically. And Bob like mumbles like, "What's it do?" And Corbell's like, well, there are two schools of thought on that sort of thing. There are folks that fall into the camp of blessed are they that have not seen and yet still believe. And Mary's like, John, book, book, whatever, you know, just quotes it from the Bible or something like that. Corbell's like, then there are folks that follow the path of no one respects a flame quite like the fool who's badly burned. And then Mary's like, I believe that's Pete Townsend. So Bob, you know, he, he eyes a, he's looking at the steak knife in front of him. And Corbell's like, which school do you belong to? Bob grabs the knife, jabs it at Corbell, but then it gets frozen, gets a big shock before the blade even gets close and he like falls over. And then the, the collar's like still zapping him on the ground. Mary hits a remote to turn it off. Corbell helps him back up. And he's like, oh, it's adjustable, one through 10. He's like, that was a four. Mary's like, uh, actually, that was a three. <laughs> and Bob's like, asks if it was him who hired him. And then there's just like a silent pause. And Corbell tells him to try the, the, the roast, please. You know, he, he slowly does, eats it. He's like, now, how is it? He's like, be honest. He's like, it's good. And Corbell starts talking about the best way to tenderize meat. Most people use a mallet, but it's messy and it doesn't offer guarantees because he might not, you know, tenderize the whole thing. He prefers a brine. It's a you know, slow, controlled process. You know, once you find a perfect brine, then you have a guarantee. But he's like, recently he discovered someone in his kitchen fudging up his brine. And he wants to know who it is. Obviously, he's talking about the situation there. At the trailer, Leanne asks Connor about the flashback he just had. So, you know, Leanne's one of the other guys from their, their troop. He, he's like, are you taking anything? Connor's like, no. He's like, it don't help. He's like, I still feel him. Leanne's like, well, why don't you let me drain some off? And Connor's like, no, no. It's like, you know, it's not your concern anymore. And Leanne, then he's like, well, how about I sing? He's like, some people say my voice has a healing lilt to it. He starts singing the twang, the country song and everything. And Connor's like, okay, okay. <laughs> He's like, for fudge sake. 
So Leanne like kind of clenches his fist, like the haptics kind of like light up under her skin. Then he starts getting hit with the pain. And, you know, we see like Connor getting wheeled in the hospital after explosion, like blood and like stuff. He grabs and uh, uh, Leon's like grabbing his leg because they're like about to like cut off whatever's left or something like that. And he's like on the floor now, like in pain. And Connor's just like sitting there kind of like rested, like almost like he's falling asleep, like just relaxed. We see Ash is still working. She's like looking at medical stuff in her orb, whatever. Then the doorbell rings. So Austin goes to answer it. It's Lobier and Beatrice. And Lobier, she's like, I know we haven't been introduced, but yeah, she knows who he is. She says his name and she just like kind of walks in, like doesn't even wait for him to invite her. She says like with her age, it feels like she, you know, just knows everyone, which she usually does. And she asks him, she's like, now, would you mind introducing me to Mr. Zubov and Mr. Netherton? She's like, I'm Inspector Lobier at Metropolitan Police. So Lev and Wolf are actually eating in the other room and Ossian comes in. He's like, "The, the Metropolitan Police are here. He says it's an inspector, not a you know an officer, or whatever. And then Lev's like, "Call my father's solicitors immediately." Ossian's like, "The phones have been disabled." And Will figures he's like, "Oh, maybe it'd be best if I slip out the back." Ossian's like, "She knows you're here. She mentioned you by name." And Lev's like, "Well, let her in for fudge's sake. It'll look incriminating if you make her wait." So then Lev says to Wolf, "He's like, whatever, whatever you do, don't lie to her." It's like you'll likely find it impossible anyways it's like they have that ability the higher level officers best assume she already knows the answers to whatever she might be asking so then we see tommy drives over to burton to buy by the trailer he tells him like something happened and he thought burton should know that man he took into custody from the bridge the, the whole thing just went sideways and he's like he get kind of burton gets in his face he's like he's like you fudging lost him and tommy's like it wasn't like that it's like i got t-boned he's like and it wasn't an accident it was more like an ambush Burton's like, having been on both sides of an ambush, one requires specific intel about both the target and the intended route. Route? Route? I couldn't decide if I want to say route or route. And Tommy's like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it was like I was targeted. Like they knew something. And Burton's like, who? He's like, what are you talking about? Tommy's like, whoever it was, they knew who I had in custody. They knew that I was on my way to the sheriff's department. And Burton's like, Sheriff Jackman. And Tommy says that that leads him to believe that Corbell Pickett now has her guy. Burton kind of chuckles. And he's like, that just about makes sense. Tommy's like, he's like, I don't get it. He's like, the way it all started with the, the cloak cars, the shells, the, the lottery. He's like, what's going on? Burton's like, why don't you do yourself a favor and get the fudge out of the way? It's like, sheesh. It's like, it's kind of rude. And Tommy's like, I've known your family your whole life. And that's all you've got for me. Burton's like, it ain't just Pickett. It's like, there are other forces at play that want us dead. And Tommy just keeps getting in a fudging way. He's like, that's that's why he's beat up and lucky to be alive. He's like, the next ambush, you might not be so lucky. Then Corbell goes to talk to Sheriff Jackman about his deputy becoming a liability that they can't afford. So Jackman, he's going to let Corbell watch a video from the crash or whatever. He's like, you're going to need two passwords to watch it. He's like, can you guess the, the passwords? And Corbell's like, that is that the kind of point of of the passwords that you're not supposed to be able to guess them or people aren't supposed to be able to get them guess them and jackman's like fudge you and eat poop but again that's not really what it says that's the name of the episode he's like in all caps he's like i want you to shout <laughs> so he, he's like make yourself at home and he like leaves your office so then he he starts typing in fudge you <laughs> and the video is from inside the car because you hear bob talking to to Tommy's like, how old are you? <laughs> and he's like, whatever. 
So then Mary's talking to Bob. She's like painting her toenails. You know, Bob's sitting in, a, in like a lounge chair and she's she said she and Corbett, they made a bet that she could get him talking because he doesn't think that she can. And he's like, he looks over, the camera like focuses in on the, the collar to the remote is like on the arm of the sofa next to her. So she's like, not, it's not even, it's, it's in, obviously it's in reach, but it's to her side. And she's like looking, you know, it's almost like behind her. She says that, well, Corbell never specified what to talk about. And so she's like, you know, maybe they can make a deal, but don't get any funny business because she ain't like that. And then he's like, he looks at the, there's a huge like fish tank. And he's like, is there salt water in that, in there? And she's like, you know, is that is that a male thing that, you know, salt water is better or whatever? And she starts talking like whatever. Then um, he looks at the table. There's like a paperweight there. It's, it's almost like a, I don't know what it was, like a lion or something like that. And he like grabs it. He just easily grabs it because she has her head turned. She's looking at the fish tank and he just like sticks it by his side. Then he's like, may I? And he's like, can you get up and go closer to the fish tank? He walks to it. He's got the, the paperweight to his side, like against his leg. And then... Push, hits it like twice different spots and puts like kind of like spider web cracks in there and she like zaps him and then she gets up and she like kicks him she's like look what you did to my petty and she's like we were having a conversation whatever like that and then you know he's so he's zapped he's out, out on the ground but then behind her the the glass keeps cracking and she's like oh no 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 and then water pours out knocks her down water all over the floor she like starts to scramble he grabs her ankle and i just grabbed my wrist in it i hit the vein <laughs> she grabs her, her her ankle and then she she zaps him but because he's in contact with her and they're in water it zaps her as well after like a, a few seconds he he opens his eyes and sits up which is Okay, so I guess he he's just happens to be he's so tough that he can wake up right after getting two zaps, but she can't handle one. I mean, which maybe she's never been zapped, or whatever. But it's just he got zapped twice, and he's you know just was in this crazy crash, and so he he's awake, which uh, that bothered me a little bit. But I guess that's how it would be. I don't know. So Lowbeard talks to Lev and like Ash and and uh, Asian. She talks about chess and how it used to be fun before they had AI assistants, you know, because there used to be like sudden unexpected moves, or whatever. And then she asks Lev if he can surprise her, and he's like, "Uh, you know, I wonder if I should call my family solicitors." And she's like, "Ah, that's sadly, you know, that's exactly as I expected." But she's like, "Well, what I can say, if you do that, then I would have to." you know, inform you, Wilth is geolocated at the site of a crime, a murder of one Daniel Cook, the head of security of the research institute, killed by a coid. She's like, I could put Wilf on, on trial as an accomplice. Then in about seven minutes from now, here in your living room, we'd likely witness poor Mr. Netherton's execution. So she refers to Wilf like a small fish and some you know, you catch a small fish, you put in a hook and you hope to get like a bigger fish. She's like, you know, no offense, whatever. And she's like, but that's like works in your favor because you could use that to your advantage. And, you know, if you could, if you're able to point to a larger fish, you need to basically save his life. Ossian comes out with tea and, she, and you know, she says like it's sugar or whatever like that. And uh, his hands like totally shaking when he pours the teas and puts like the milk in there. And, and then when he hands it to her, she like, grabs his wrist. And she's like, oh, you've done pretty well considering the, the encounters that he had with the authorities when, in his youth or something like that. Lev is just sitting there like smiling, you know, and she's like, oh, look at me. I'm mashing up my metaphors, you know, just like all tangled up and fish on a line and chess or whatever. And then she's like, well, so 
back to the, the solicitor stuff. She's like, so how does that sound? He before he can even answer, she's like tiresome, and you know she, she's like, why don't we try like telling the truth or whatever? And she says that the the Met detected three peripherals running on AI. So she's like, I'd like you to summon them here so I can enjoy a quick peek. And then Ash goes to get them, and Lobier's like, and they're operators too. And Lev's like, well, you know, that may prove to be complicated. Connor's cooking himself some French toast, which again is impressive the way he's doing it. He hears a car drive up. So he like crawls out to, you know, to look out. It's Burton. He has this, he takes out this big long box in the back seat of the truck that he's in a different you know SUV now. And he mentions that flashback the other was pretty intense. And Connor's like, what's in the box? He's like, oh, it's a gift from our friends in the future. So they look, I guess it's supposed to be like some legs for him to use. And Connor's like, he says that he has some, he's like, Flynn printed me some legs. I got a whole bunch of whole collection inside. And he's like, you know, they're like art, artwork, the way she's like putting into it. Cause I guess Burton didn't know. I don't know when she's been doing this. Uh, but he, then he's, Burton's like, well, why aren't you using them? He's like, uh, you know, it seems like they're more for others to basically feel more comfortable, whatever. Cause he doesn't really change anything. And Burton's like, well, you know, I hate to break it to you, but you're not going to grow real ones. And Connor's like, I have real ones. Wait for me in the future. So Burton basically talks about how he doesn't really approve of that whole thing. He's like, remember what you told me to do? You, he's like, do you remember me visiting you in the hospital? He's like, I think so. He's like, well, do you remember that thing that you asked me to do that I wouldn't do? And then he's like, yeah, and I remember what you did in return. He's like, what I do? He like wrote something on a wall. I don't know if it was... I don't think he didn't poop, but it's like, you know, uh, Burton was here. It was kind of like to get him mad. So he'd have to get up and, you know, wipe it off or I don't know. But then basically Burton says that trying to go to the future, this whole thing, it's like putting a pill over his face or bullet in his mouth, just a a slowed down version. So, you know, they they talk some more and then, you know, Burton's going to leave. He gets a call and he's like, oh, I hope you didn't eat too much because, you know, London's calling. They want us there. They go to the print shop. They're in the back. You know, they got the new headpieces that were, were printed for them. And then in the future, we see, you know, Lobier is, she's there, I mean, they're obviously filling her in and everything. She's because they're talking about how they're able to communicate with the past and everything like that. Love explains that, you know, the contact creates a fork. So it's not really, it's a past, not their past. You know, it creates a fork in time or whatever. And they call it's a stub. And she's like, why did they call it that? And Lev's like, I don't know. He starts answering. And then Ash is like, imperialism. She's like calling it that makes it easy, easier for for us to third world it, and then Asian mentions he's like oh they're they're coming, then Lobier gets up you know they they wake up like you can see Burton like flexing his hands because this is his first time right I'm pretty sure that's his first time going there, and she's like oh you must be whatever some Flynn and she introduces herself and extends her hand, and that's where it ends. So. Uh, in the in the book, so Lobier is a lot more involved with it because you know she is fully aware like what's going on, and you know, so she's she's almost like telling them what to do and everything like that. So it's kind of interesting that that now we're what six episodes in and we just finally meet her, and it's it's still like what the heck is up? What is Sharice doing? And this this whole future, it's so bizarre how everything is fake and it's like how many people actually are there because. When they're out there, when Flynn and, and Wolf are out there and, and he makes people disappear, there's like no one there. So it's like, how many, what is the population now? Because, you know, obviously people survived or people died. There's few survivors, but it's just kind of interesting to to see more. Of that. And I still don't understand 
what exactly the research institute and what Charisse is, is really up to, but more for us to find out. So there you go. All right, with Chucky, season two, episode eight, Chucky actually. So this is a final episode of the season, which is a, a bummer, but I, I guess it, it you don't want to drag it on because it, it's telling this. And I keep saying whenever I bring this up to people, it's like, I'm so surprised that there is an ongoing Chucky series and that it works so well. So it cuts back to the end of last episode, Andy shooting Chucky, Dr. Mixter running out. Then Kyle asks, like, do you think that his whole life is flashing before his eyes? And then, as we know, it's really Dr. Mixter. So it's really Dr. Mixter's life flashing before her eyes. We see her mix meeting uh, eight-year-old Chucky, and she's just like a, a teenage girl. She's at, at that place, at the school, whatever. Then we see her, you know, she's older. She's in her office, and Chucky or Charlie is, is there with her. And uh, talking about the kids. So she's with the, the Chucky doll. And, you know, she's talking about, uh, how like punishing the kids, you know, pushing them over the edge, traumatized them. So basically, she inspired Chucky to kill their parents, like uh, all the stuff from season one, you know, everything that he did instead of just going after the kids right away. Then we see Sister Ruth comes in and they they leave, and then Chucky like punches her in the face, knocks her out, which how a little doll has so much strength. And then he does the spell to switch them, and then Andy comes out, starts shooting, and then she's dead. So, and then it cuts to uh, Dr. Mixter driving in a car, but it's really Chucky cackling, like nonstop. And then she goes to her office. There's this big wall safe behind like a, a painting, opens it up. There actually is one last Chucky in there, like mint condition. It's out of the box, but it's like mint. More cackling, which is just like, it's, the cackling is not really working. And then it cuts to December 22nd. Three chopping days till Christmas. So Lexi is like at this Narcotics Anonymous session. Talks about just, she just got out of rehab. She's talking about like secrets. And she says, I have another one that only three people know about. Jake's actually there. You know, there's like other people like, outside the circle and everything. So Jake's starting to get nervous. And she's like, there's a, you know, she's talking about uh, there being a monster in her life. One hiding behind a supposedly innocent face. And he's just like, you can't say anything. And she's like, the monster is my mother. So Jake's relieved. And she's like, we all know what she's like. Controlling, self-absorbed, narcissistic. He's like, no wonder I'm an addict. And she's like, with her as a role model, it's a miracle that I'm not a hooker. <laughs> Lexi and Jake get out of a taxi and they're at her place. He asks if she's talked to Devin and she's like, no, I haven't really had a chance you know, since she was in rehab. He asks if her mom is really okay with him staying over for the holidays. And she's like, well, I haven't told her yet. And he's like, wait, what? And she's decorating the, the Christmas tree. Caroline, her sister is watching TV with like that bell doll. She still has that. And Lexi's like, it's perfect timing. So Lexi's like, hi mom. She's like, Jake's here and needs a place to crash for a few days. So Michelle, she's like, well, of course he can stay here. It's the holidays. And you know, you should be with the people who love you. And she hugs him and Lexi's, like super confused and he's like well thanks mrs cross and she's like oh no you can call me michelle and she f feels like you know they went through a lot surviving the ordeal last year and what kind of neighbor would she be if she didn't take in a poor orphan and lexi's like two orphans actually and then devin comes down the stairs he has his gift he's like surprise jake's indeed surprised they hug and then we see michelle her phone is like recording it's like lighting up with like heart emojis 
So then she goes to the phone. She grabs it. She shuts it off. She's like, God damn it, Alexandra. How could you do this to me? I was live streaming to 100,000 followers. And Lexi's like, what's the problem? Wouldn't taking in two orphans at Christmas make you look more charitable and mayor-like? And she puts up her hand. She's like, I can't do this with you today. And she like walks out of the room. So Lexi's like, Merry Christmas. And then Jake says, he's like, okay, well, I have to, I'll be right back. I've got to go out. And he's like, I need to get a, a present to reciprocate, whatever. Devin's like, you know, you don't have to. He's like, oh, no, you'll love it. I'll be right back and everything. So Caroline's watching the news. It turns out Dr. Mixter was found dead in her office of natural causes. And there's uh, mentions that tie her to the school, which has been permanently closed. So, you know, we, we find out what happened after that. Glenda gets out of the elevator with flowers. She's at a hospital. She walks her room. There's a cop sitting outside. Glenn is lying in the bed in a coma. Glenda's phone rings. It's Tiffany in Jennifer Tilly's body. And Tiffany's like, how are they? Glenda's like, they're not good. The doctors say maybe they have days left. Glenda says that we can't lose Glenn. If they die, I die too. And Tiffany's like, I know. And Glenda's like, well, you know what we have to do. And Tiffany's like, I do. And Glenda's like, and you're okay with that? Tiffany's like, well, why do you think I saved it all these years? So Glenda has an idea because, uh, you know, it's like, well, what about the guard? You know, Tiffany has. And Glenda's like, well, you just have to be Jennifer Tilly one last time. And Tiffany's like, but, you know, Jennifer Tilly's wanted for murder. And Glenda says, well, you'll just have to give the performance of your life. So Chucky is reading uh, a book, Santa's Hackensack. It's a, a catalog or whatever. And he sees the world's quietest chainsaw. And so he's like, oh, where's this been in my whole life? Or something like that. Maybe he says that later. He has his own credit card. The credit card just says Chucky. No last name. Uh, but the other weird thing, it says it's good through November 24th. Like 2024? Oh, no, wait. 2024. Okay, that's right. I was like, it's this card's expired already. I don't Did it say 24? It didn't say 14. So it's it's not expired. But we, if you pause it, you can see his credit card information? Maybe. December 23rd, two chopping days till Christmas. Michelle's live streaming outside as she decorates the nativity scene. And, and for baby Jesus, she puts uh, the bell doll there. Glenda has a big suitcase. She's like uh, one of those roller suitcases. She goes to the hospital. She knocks a cop's coffee over to sit on the ground. He's like, seriously? And she's like, or they, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, here, let me, you know, get another one on me. And he's like, oh, see, the cop gets up and leaves. Then Tiffany walks by, dressed as a doctor in scrubs. It's like, how's that? That's not even convincing. In the suitcase is a Glendale and a book Voodoo for Dummies. Cop comes back right away, comes in the room, opens, recognizes Jennifer Tilly, and he's like, starts saying some stuff. So Jennifer Tilly, Tiffany, has to take the vase of flowers, smash them on the head. So then he's knocked out on, on the ground. Water everywhere. There happens to be a defibrillator in the room. I don't think they would normally keep that in there. I could be wrong, but maybe just in case. Maybe they do keep a, a shock cart there. I don't know. Glenda's like, she's Glenda, they see that, and they're like, Mom, clear? Oh, yes. So Glenda zaps the unconscious cop, who's, again, wet from all the flowers and everything, bursts into flames, and just like, Wah! and then it's just like, fire. And there's like no smoke alarms, I guess. I don't know if there normally is, but... So then a little bit, nurse comes in, sees the burnt cop, and both twins, Glenn and Glenda, are both dead in the bed, lying there. And the nurse screams. So I, I guess it does mix. I, I thought what they were going to do is I thought they were going to put Glenn in the doll, 
but then Glenda would still be in a human body. But I guess since they're both Glenn, that they they were somehow they're different whatever aspects were separated into two. Which where did the people come? The kids come from? Maybe it was mentioned in the movie, which I still need to watch at some point. So they're both dead. Tiffany's watching the mayor's live stream. Uh, I don't think it's live anymore. Uh, so it's probably like archived. Uh, Tiffany sees the bell doll and, 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 you know, whatever. Then Tiffany's putting makeup on the Glenn doll and, and she shows um, a mirror. It's like, oh, it's me. I, I love it. I love me. Thank you, mummy. And Tiffany's like, well, what should I call you now? How about Gigi? Call me Gigi. And it's like the voice is different. So Tiffany's like, well, what do you want to do now? Or something like that. Gigi says that they want to go traveling, maybe England, explore the routes. And Tiffany's like, uh, she mentions the accent. And Gigi's like, but this is our voice now. And Gigi's like, you know, maybe you, you should, you know, tone it down a little bit because they're not English or whatever. But then Gigi's like, I'm going to miss you, mummy. Because I guess, I guess that the thing is Tiffany can't go traveling because she's wanted for murder and all this stuff like that. And she'd be recognizable. But at the same point, how is a, a living doll going to travel? And, you know, how does Chucky do what he does? I don't understand. December 24th, one chopping day. Jake arrives with a gift. It's a big, uh, how long was he gone? <laughs> he has this big box. He says that he can't wait until Christmas. So Devin opens it. It's like this podcasting bundle. There's a laptop and a mic and all this like that. He's hoping that it'll help him get back into podcasting. Devin's like, uh, thanks. He's like, I haven't really been into podcasting for like a year. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with it. And Jake's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And he's like, just bummed. It's like, dude, you clearly didn't know or you know, maybe you just assumed because he was so into it before. Maybe it's it's a safe assumption, but yeah, you can't you can't whatever. More on that later. Big fancy dinner before they can eat. Uh, Michelle says she has to post this, so she takes a picture of them. She mentions her followers really liked her nativity scene. She got over thirty thousand likes. Michelle asks Caroline if she's excited for Santa, and she's like, "I guess this kid is like s- such a freak. She's like a little robot kid." And then I think she says something like she just hopes she likes what she gets or something like that. And Jake's like, oh, it's okay if you don't. He's like, you can always return it. Like, return it for cash. You know, that, that that's really great. Perfect. He's like, you know, what a baby. It's like, you, you can't be upset. Yeah, it's a bummer if you get someone a present that you think, like, oh, this is really cool. It's a bummer if they don't like it. But you can't be so bitter and such a baby about it. It's like, it sucks, but you, 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 they can't help it. And then Devin's like, you know, well, you're just trying to make yourself feel better. And, you know, he he mentions how Jake didn't even show up for Halloween, which he was with his little foster brother or whatever. And then when they were all together, all he cared about was stuff because you, know, you can't say Chucky. And, you know, Devin says he feels like an idiot. You know, all this time they've been together. feels like, you know, Jake left a long time ago. Jake starts talking to Michelle's like, enough. She's like, it's highly inappropriate. And Lexi's like, they're just being honest. And she's like, dinner table is hardly the place for that. So I guess you can't be honest at a dinner table. She's like, it's Christmas for God's sake. Then Lexi says that she has something she wants to say. And then Michelle like tries stopping her. And you know, she's like, oh, here we go. And Lexi's like, I'm sorry. You know, all this time in recovery, I was blaming you for everything. Even though, you know, you, you left me alone in my sadness. And Michelle's like, this is your apology. And then Jake says like, Michelle, and she's like, Mrs. Cross. And he's like, Mrs. Cross, he's like, this isn't easy for Lexi. You know, she, 
you you think that all she cares about is herself, but it's not true. She's trying really hard, and the least you can do is listen to her. And Lexi's like actually touched by it. She's like, thanks, Jake. And then she's like, what I was trying to say is that everything I blamed you for, I'm also guilty for it. It's like I never really thought about what you might be going through. And, you know, you've been hiding the pain, too. Then it's like they're they're both more alike than they want to admit. Michelle's like, well, I'm glad you're learning how much your behavior affects other people. You're really growing up. <laughs> but it's like how much your behavior affects other people. And then but by her saying she's growing up, that surprises Lexi. And Michelle says she admits that she made some mistakes, too. And, you know, she's really sorry for that. And Caroline's like, it's a Christmas miracle. And then she tells Jake and Devin, why don't they just make up already? So then we see little footsteps in the snow. So Chucky's coming. Jake and Devin are lying on the floor in Lexi's room. Lexi is um, sitting up in her bed. And she's like, are we going to be like them when we grow up? Andy and Kyle, you know, no job, no lives, complete obsession with all things Chucky. You know, are, are we always going to think it's him when there's a wrong call, you know, or someone with red hair? And Jake's like, Chucky's dead. And Lexi's like, okay, you know, what they talk some more. And she's like, well, I'm going to sleep. So Jake is talking to Devin. He says he's sorry. You know, he thought that he wasn't good enough for him. He let Chucky get to him twice. You know, he got inside his head. People died. And, uh, you know, Devin's like, oh, no, you know, you just have a big heart or something like that. And they start smooching. Lexi's like, this is all very sweet, but could you stop making out on my floor so I can get some sleep? You know, and they laugh. Everything seems calm. You know, we see, like, there's a dad ornament hanging on a tree, the Cross family, because, you know, their dad was killed. It's Christmas music, you know, lights are on, you know, whatever. And then Chucky drops down the chimney with his little chainsaw. Chucky eats some cookies. He looks at Caroline's list, and then he has, he's like, oh, no, i got to go upstairs and kill the kids. So Tiffany pulls up to the house. She goes up to the nativity scene, but there's no doll there. Because oh, she wants to return to a, a doll. She figures if she can get out of Jennifer Tilly's body... She won't be wanted by the police and she won't have to worry about aging and all this stuff like that because, you know, she thinks plastic is better, which is weird. So she she walks up to the back of the house. She opens somehow. I don't know if she broke in and pried it open. She opens a sliding door. She's walking around with like, so is Chucky. So they're both walking. And then someone comes down the stairs. It's Michelle. She's like, who's there? And then they both try, you know, duck because they don't see each other. She sees Jennifer, she's like, Jennifer Tilly. And she's like, oh, it's it's me, Mayor Michelle. And she's like, oh, hey. And then she's like, wait, aren't you wanted for murder? And Tiffany's like, oh, no, 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 no. That was just a big misunderstanding. That's why I'm here. You know, it's so random. But, you know, you you, you mentioned, you know, she talks about the doll in, in her live stream. She's like, she talked about the, the good guy shipment, uh, never made it to the charity and, you know, stuff like that. So she's hoping that, you know, with the, with the bell doll that she can take that or something like that. Uh, Michelle wants to take a picture or something like that. Chucky is now behind her in the stairs somehow. And this is the one part I didn't like about the the episode or the season. He leaps down with the chainsaw and he starts like chopping straight down. So like the physics just don't seem right. Even if you have a chainsaw, run, run, a silent chainsaw, I, I feel like jumping down, it would, would definitely put a nick or something like that. But I feel like it would bounce off. It wouldn't just, there wouldn't be enough weight to keep it going down, you know, straight and the person standing there, I don't think they would just stand still for this. It, it was literally like a hot knife through butter. It's just like going down. So, oh, and Chucky put on goggles before because there's like all this, you know, blood everywhere, everything like that. And, you know, he, so he's, he's covered. Uh, none of the kids are woken up by her screaming. 
he so he manages he literally like slices her down like it's like a vivisection and tiffany's like chucky you're supposed to be dead and she's like you're despicable killing a mother on christmas eve and he's like well the kids are gonna rest in pieces too except for caroline she's got potential and he says you know kids who misbehave have to be punished he's like where are they you know glenn and glenda misbehave too and tiffany's like they're dead and he's like i wasn't born yesterday he's like i'm gonna find them and punish them after i punish those kids upstairs and Tiffany's like, you'll have to go through me first. Then Lexi leaps down and gives like Chucky like a flying kick, puts her foot down like on his crotch, which I don't think he really has a crotch, but uh, she's holding him down. She picks up his chainsaw and then Chucky calls out to Tiffany, you know, to help. And she's like, no, he's like, but I'm the last Chucky. If, if I die this time, I die for good. And she's like, oh, it's so sad. Then he says to Lexi, he's like, oh, you know, let me go. It's like, I'll get you all the drugs you ever need. And she's like, this is the only drug I need. She starts like chopping him in half, you know, cutting him up. Tiffany goes upstairs and she goes to grab the the bell doll from from Caroline's bed. But Jake is undercover. Somehow, for some reason, he decided to go there. He stabs Tiffany like in the, the chest or something like that in the front. Devin jumps out of the closet, stabs her in the back. Lexi's still chopping up like Chucky's face, like like lines and stuff like that. Just little pieces. Gurgle, gurgle, blood, whatever. And then she's like, what a fudging rush. Uh, Tiffany then has a dowel. She starts to leave. Lexi walks towards her. She's like all bloody. She's covered in blood. And Tiffany like backs down the hall. And Jake's like, you know, call the cops. You know, she's going to bleed out. You know, so he still wants to save her. You know, whatever you know, she needs to be dead, I guess. But then Caroline comes out with a knife. And then she asks Tiffany, she's like, can you hold this? And she, she takes the dowel. Tells Devin to put the phone down. And she's like, let's go. Lexi's like, what are you doing? Caroline's like, Chucky always told me that my real mom would come for me someday. He told me that the lady you know, here, she only adopted me. And that's why I never fit in here. And she says to Lexi, she's like, you're not my real sister. She's like, you know, you fooled everyone. And Lexi's like, he lies. He's like, I'm your real sister. And Caroline's like, where is Chucky? And Lexi's like, I killed him for real this time. And Caroline's like, oh, you'll be sorry. You'll all be sorry. And then they leave. So police are at the house. Lexi's like says, she's like, now I'm an orphan too. And Jake's like, well, we got you. You know, so they're going to stick together. Police looking over their statement. You know, they heard a noise. They had reason to believe the suspects were in the house. They act in self-defense. Uh, then the, the person took their, her sister hostage. And cops like, have you seen the suspect before? And Jake's like, absolutely. Devin's like, her name is Jennifer Tilly. And then he says that, they made an emergency call since they don't have any next to kin. So they called Mrs. F. I guess she was like that cool science teacher. So she comes up. They all like hug her. And then they, they start to tell her like, you know, separate from the cop. They're like, it's going to sound insane. And then Jake's like, do you remember Chucky? And her face like scowls. And she's like, I knew it. Because I think she had knew she knew something was up with Chucky. I don't think know if she actually saw Chucky move or anything like that. Then it's like three weeks later, Times Square. Tiffany's hair is like darker. She has a different haircut. Caroline's reading the voodoo book and Nika calls Tiffany and she's like, I owe you an apology. She's like, sorry for what happened to Glenn. It's like, I'm glad Gigi is doing well. And Tiffany's like, you've spoken to Gigi? Nika's like, they call me once a week. And Tiffany's like, oh, she's like, tell them I said hello. And Nika's like, you know, nothing has changed between us. I'm still going to torture and kill you, but I'm going to give you a head start. And she's looking out the window with binoculars. And Nika's like, and I love what you've done with your hair. 
Tiffany gasps and she looks out the window. Nika's like laughing. So Tiffany starts doing the voodoo spell in the hotel room. There's like candles on the floor or something like that. Caroline's just smile. You know, she's sitting on, on like the couch in there, but it doesn't seem like the spell's working. And, you know, it's Tiffany like sits back. Then the doll sits up, takes off like. <laughs> There's like contacts on the doll's eyes. Instead of blue eyes, they, they turn to no. Instead of green eyes, they turn to blue. Wipes makeup off like like wipe a hand is like perfectly wiped off. Pulls off a wig. Chucky starts laughing. Has a knife. Walks towards Tiffany, and she's just sitting on the floor like screaming. It's like it's a little doll. All you got to do is stand up and kick it, or just grab it. It's like that's where the season ends. So I think that's gonna be the end of Tiffany, possibly. But somehow there was another Chucky doll. When the heck this happened? No idea. Maybe Caroline has been reading the book and did the spell. But wait, how did Chucky... Wait, where did even Chucky... I don't know. We need some answers. We need a season three. I don't think a season three has been confirmed. I I hope we, we get one because I just... This, this show, I'm, I'm enjoying it so much. So I don't know if it's streaming on Peacock yet... Hopefully, if, if you haven't been able to watch it, you'll be able to watch it soon. Uh, it's it's such a good show. So I, I'm, I'm so... I'm thankful for this show. And then we have Star Wars Andor, Season 1, Episode 12, Rick's Road. So this has been such a, a bizarre show. I mean, it, it's been good. It is not your typical Star Wars show. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people really praising it, saying it's the best thing. This is what Star Wars should have been and, and everything like that. I... I it, I'm not really sure how I feel about like you know where ex- exactly I I lie on that like in the grand scheme of thing is this the best Star Wars thing I don't think it's the best Star Wars thing and I think my main problem is I I don't love Andor I don't love Cassian Andor I I think he's I, I don't know he he's he just kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes he's just got this little attitude like. I don't, I don't know. It's something about him that... It, but anyways, but this show was really good. And what I also realized is, like, some of the other characters, I'm really interested in, with, in them. And I, I hope we see a lot more of them in the second season. So it starts off, we see someone, like, soldering, like, something making some... It's basically they're making a bomb, is what, what it's going to be. We see an Imperial shuttle lands. Dedra gets off. She, so she's on Ferrix. Bix is sitting in her cell. The, the camera thing like kind of turns to her, whatever. Dedra says that she wants to take a walk around the town. Uh, so the, the dude, because he didn't think that she was coming so soon or something like that. And he's like, well, I'll get an escort ready. She's like, no, no. She's like, um, oh, what was the dude's name? Corv? I think she's like, Corv will take me or something like that. So Because she wants to keep it small. More welding going on. And then uh, Brasso, so uh, Cassian's friend, he's he's waiting for, for Jan to finish his shift. Brasso says he spoke to Cassian. Wait, was it or is it the other way around? I, now I'm starting to forget who's who. But he, he says that he knows about Marva now. And it was a, a short conversation. So he asked about the funeral. Jean says that, you know, I feel it's the other way around. But then one person says, you know, make sure no one else knows because they're, they're watching. And then uh, they're like, you know, Cassian it would be insane to, to come back now. Dedra's walking around. She has like a cloak on, and then Cinta's like walking nearby. So I don't know if she saw her right away, or she's just like happens to be like walking nearby. This other guy, Nurchi, talks to Zan about Cassian losing his mom and having to have Brasso place the stone. 
uh, then he says that you know he he must be losing his mind, and, and Nurchie's like like yeah, but it's not like Cassian has any idea what's going on. Then he's like, well, eh. and he's like, oh, don't don't tell me anything, you know. More building wires. Uh, so I I think that it, I mean what it was. I'm pretty sure 99 sure it's Pox kid, the the kid that um, the the guy that was tortured before Bix because he his his son, you know, he was arrested even though he didn't do anything. So the Imperials took him away. Mon is sitting in her car. She's like waiting. Then her husband Perrin comes in, like with a drink. She asks the driver to, to put the privacy shield up, and then she confronts her husband that he's gambling again. She's like, "And here in Coruscant, he's like, that's nonsense." And she's like, "Do you have any idea how tired I'm of this?" But it turns out the driver's actually listening, so it's supposed to be a privacy, but he's he can hear everything that's that they're arguing about. Perrin's like, "It's a lie." He's like, "I want to know who's been saying this," and she's like. If you can't live with a casino, it's like, fine, I get it. She's like, go to Canto Bite, which we saw in one of the Star Wars movies, the newer ones. He's like, it's a lie. And she's like, keep your voice down. And he's like, well, it's not like, you know, anyone, the driver can hear us or whatever. I forget his name. Then he And he's like, well, where would I get the money? And she's like, that's what scares me the most. He's like, well, someone's lying to you. She's like, on that, we can agree. And again, the driver's like listening to all this, taking all this in. Cinta returns to her place. Bell's there. And Cinder just goes straight to the scopes, like by the window. And she's like, a guy I've been watching is ISB. His boss showed up tonight. And Vel quietly is like, good to see you too. And Cinta says that, you know, she's like, I'm my, I was on my way to pick you up. And then they started heading out. So, and they're dressed like locals. So they're getting ready for something. They must know Andor's coming. And Cinta's like, we have to get there first. You know, everything depends on it. So then somehow Andor's there. Even though everyone's watching the planet, you think they would see a ship coming in or whatever. He thinks back to like the words of wisdom from from Clem, you know, his basically his foster's adoptive dad. You know, he he climbs into the yard where Bix stayed. There's like a couple of like chain guard dogs, alien things. This dude Pegla comes out, and then he's once he sees this casting, he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." He's like, "I loved your mom, you know that." And Cassie's like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "I'm watching it until we can sell it." And Gander's like, sell it. He's like, where's where's Bix? Where is she? Where is she? Bix is like shivering in her cell. And we see Luthen's like watching something. Um, there's audio from Nemec talking about how freedom is a pure idea. Random acts of insurrection are happening throughout the galaxy and all this stuff like that. And Andor's just like, he's sitting in an old ship, like just like hiding out. Trying to figure out, you know, what's he going to do? Dedra's looking over the map of the city and all the places that have troops stationed. She talks about how they wanted a funeral at midday uh, with this soldier, whatever dude. He said they wanted a soldier, uh, they wanted a funeral at midday, so they moved two hours back and they gave them an allowance of 30 people, but the mothers of Ferrix pushed back, so they upped it to 40. Dedra asks about the mothers and then she's told it's like a social group to which uh, Andor's mother was a, was a past president. And then they have containment units. They have snipers. And she's like, no snipers. She's like, I want him alive. So then uh, Mon Matha's drive. I think his name is Chloris. Chloris, something like that. He's talking to Blevin, the ISB guy, that uh, Dedra kind of took his territory or whatever. The driver's telling about the conversation between Mon and her husband. Partagaz is talking to Dedra over the radio. There's like, I think he's having another one of her meetings. He says the, the Anto Krieger situation is over. They're all dead. He says, uh, she's like, well, we get nothing from a dead body. And Partagas says that she misses the point. Like today was about wiping Altani from the emperor's mouth. If she wants to start a conversation, then she can find Axis, which is Luthen. 
Luthen exit his ship. He's so he's parked on the outskirts of town or whatever again. No one saw him land. He gets on the like little speeder bike, heads into town. Uh, an ISB guy notices someone else exiting Marva's place with B2 EMO. He's like, it's not the big guys. Like, we've been played. So Brasso's, he was, because it was supposed to be Brasso, he's meeting with Cassian, like, under the city, like, in some tunnels or something like that. Cassian says that, you know, he's like, I want her to leave with me. And Brasso's like, yeah, I know. You know, she said that. And Andor's like, and I couldn't get back. Brasso's like, you know, you shouldn't be here. And Andor goes on about how he shouldn't have left. And Brasso's like, He's like, you know, she said that you'd say all this. And then he tells Andor stuff that Marva wanted him to hear. You know, he's an unstoppable force for good. She's like, tell him that I love him more than anything that he could do wrong. So they're told, the other one's like watching from a great, like looking out the city. He's like, the, the streets are clear. So Andor is like, well, what about Bix? Brasso's, he says he has a friend in a hotel still or whatever, a contact. He was told that, you know, she was still alive three days ago, was the last time he heard. Andor's like, why are they keeping her? And Brasso's like, well, she must know something. Andor's like, we can't just leave her there. And Brasso's like, are you going to take on a full garrison? And Andor just like stares at him. And then Brasso says that he'll take care of Marva. He needs to take care of himself. So, you know, he's like, Andor's like, it's too late for that. So Karn is on, like, on this train thing or whatever. He exchanges hats with his one buddy who called him, the, the, the other officer dude. And then everyone is sitting around. Luthen comes up to Val and is like, any luck? And she says that she was getting worried. Um, Luthen asks, like, has he come home or not? And she says that they seem to think so. They're everywhere. And, you know, there's an ISB supervisor in town. And he's like, a woman? And uh, Val's like, you know her? And he's like, not yet. He's like, this is good. She's like, how is this possibly good? And he's like, they'll do the hunting for us. He's, he's like, they want him alive. They'll find him and we'll kill him. So she says that they'll take him to the hotel and he's like that's our target so they just need him dead before they start asking him questions so he says to pull cinta from the mother's house have her go to the hotel for a look around and then um the big anvil clang clang thing dude in the tower starts ringing it it's like too early it's not supposed to be happening so then luthan he's gonna head over to the hotel and Dedra's like, what's going on? So they're, they're like, we don't know. No one knows what's going on. The marching band is like warming up. The the mothers of, of Ferex are getting ready. Luthans just walk around the city. Karn and that, that dude, they're walking around as well. Andor is watching from the top floor of a building, like across from the, the hotel. Marching band starts playing this mournful music. Parade going is going through the streets. Pax Kid joins the crowd. He has like a, a, a satchel or something like that. Imperials are getting restless, you know, because it's not go going according to plan. One guy, he orders a show of force immediately. Bix looks out her window. You know, she can't really see what's going on, but she can hear the music. Imperials order men to get people off the street. Andor looks out and he sees Luthen in, in a cloaked, uh, you know, he's wearing a cloak. He's outside the hotel. Nurchi talks to an ISB guy. He's like, I want a double reward and a way out of here if I find him. And the dude's like, where is he? And Nurchi's like, just pretend you're arresting me. Karn and that dude are told to, to get back when they try you know, going onto the street. Dedra is told Andor is across the street in the building because uh, I guess he's been seen by Nurchi. Then she's like, they're wasting time. And one guy's like, well, we have a tactical team up on a terrace. And she's like, no. She's like, we need him alive. She's like, don't make me say it again. Brasso 
is coming with the brick. B2 EMOs is behind him. Andor is just thinking. Bix is like coming to the music. Dedra and a couple death troopers are out in the street. Karn gets excited or something like that when he sees her. And he's like, she's here. It's her. The music stops. And then they it switches like spirit, more lively music. Riot soldiers are getting ready. They have like big shields. Everyone's walking down the main street. Death troopers enter the building that Anders in. This dude climbs up this like ladder where he's supposed to be, but he's not there. He actually went through this grate and he's like crawling like under the city in those tunnels. He goes, uh, he comes out in a, like a kitchen at the hotel, I guess. He sees this guy because they recognize each other and he's like, Where's Bix? Uh, the people in the industry start, start, start chanting "Stone and Sky, Stone and Sky," so, you know, over and over again. B two, then they, they stop. B two plays this holo of Marva talking. You know, it's, it's like her 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 final thing or whatever. And uh, Dedra and the troopers are looking around, and then Karn uh, sees her. Andor is walking around the halls looking for Bix. I don't know how he would, would expect to find Bix in like this hotel. Marva's speech continues, and then finally, you know, she's going on. At one point, then she's like, "The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep." She says it's you know easy for for the dead to tell in the fight, and maybe fighting is useless. You know, perhaps it's too late. But she's like, "I'll tell you this: if I could do it again, I'd wake up early and I'd fight these bastards from the start." The Imperial's like starting to get angry. He's like, "That's enough." He like takes his uh, like cloak cape thing whatever he covers the top of b2 that's like shoot playing the, the holo but the holo is still shining through fight the empire and he's like enough and he like knocks b2 over it was like you can't do that brasso kicks him uh and then soldiers start moving towards but then he elbows and he like flings him around the mothers of of, of Varric, they, they scream no brasso he uses the the marva brick it's and it's not like a regular brick it's it's kind of flatter and it's more like a like a like like kind of a diamond shape not really diamond shape i don't know what i'm it's it's not like a regular brick it there's but anyways he takes it and he like it smacks a guy in the hell head with it he raises his arms like Rah! the crowd's roaring and Priera's raising her shield the crowd starts moving towards him so it's all coming down now Andor sees like an Imperial in the hall. He moves at him and knocks him against the wall and take grabs his gun. He you know, knocks him down, shoots him because you know, he just he's so willing to just shoot anyone without a, a second thought. Andor gets to Bix's cell somehow, and he opens the door, and she's like, "I dreamt you'd come back." And he then she's like, "You climbed over a wall," and he's like, "We got to get out of here." Citizens are starting to get zapped, you know, with like some stun batons are getting dragged out of the way. Andor tells Bix, he's like, there's no one out in the hall. It's like, you, you know, but she doesn't want to move. And she's like, they'll get angry. The the kid, he takes the device that he made from his satchel. He turns it on. Uh, one Imperial dude, like, sees him. Dedra, like, walks out uh, of this building. But then, you know, she goes to turn around. But the crowd, like, won't let her back in. There's, like, so many people out there. The kid throws the device. Karn goes running. And then, boom, blows up. Nurchi, the, the traitor dude who, who betrayed... Andor, he's looking out the window. Push, he gets blasted in the face by glass and stuff like that. So it's like, ha ha! A big, this big transport thing gets knocked over. Uh, and inside, there's like this box of explosives that like rolls out. Boom, 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 boom. It's like almost like fireworks just blowing up like one after the other. Vels runs to the aftermath, but there's like this super thick smoke. 
how I don't see how she can be running and who knows what there's rubble or people or whatever. She would like trip in like two seconds, but she's just like runs straight into this like super thick, you know, smoke. Imperials are starting to whack the citizens with these like metal batons, like just not even just zapping, just like wham, wham. So one dude um, points out Pax Kid. He's like, that's him. You know, because he saw he he saw he threw the bomb. Brassos stands and Imperials uh, tell the stormtroopers, open fire, fire at will. One stormtrooper like punches like, the kid to grab him, but then Brasso smacks uh, one with something and then like headbutts a second. Like, okay, he headbutts a stormtrooper wearing a helmet and it knocks him down. <laughs> so uh, for that right there, we need to see more of Brasso. <laughs> B2 is is still lying on his side. He sees a, a guy he knows get shot after he like jumps on Stormtrooper's back and you know he's uh whimpering, you know, he's sad. Sinta's following core of the ISB guy, and then he like sees her, kind of turns around. He's like, What are you doing here? And then you know, he's like right up in her face, and then she like stabs him in the gut and then like thrust thrust it up or something like that. And then you know, he just like falls over. He pulls her blade out, and someone's like dragging B two away. Andor and Bix, they go down the stairs. Uh, he sh- shoots a trooper. He says, uh, "Nurchi, he's either dead or knocked out on on the floor." Walks right past him. Dedra is like shooting too, but then she gets hit in the head by a rock or something like that. You know, she falls over, her hat flies off. So I was like, ha ha. Again, she's like trying to crawl towards her gun, but then she kind of gets kicked by someone like running by. It wasn't intentional, just like people were like running by. Anvil guy is still banging. Um, this Imperial guy is like, go stop that guy, whatever. You know, Stormtrooper goes up there to stop him, but then he kicks him like out the window. The dude that sent him, the officer, sees the Stormtrooper fly out. Uh, Dedra's like crawling on the ground. Citizens start like grabbing at her. She's screaming and everything. Her her gun gets kicked, but then someone picks it up and then grabs her, shoves her in the building. It's stupid Karn. It's like really, and she's like you how? He's like I saw you were in trouble, and she's like shaking. She's like so rattled by this, which is like good. You deserve this. You think you're so untouchable? You're so stupid for even going there. There's no reason for you to be there. And he's he says that. Or she's like, thank you. And he's like, oh, no, you don't have to thank me or whatever. Cassian and Bix are just calmly walking through the streets. Their, their heads and their faces are uncovered. It's like, okay, if everyone's looking for him, you would think any Imperial would see him. They're just like chaos and pandemonium. But still, they're just like walking around. Sint and Vel are packing up their, their place. They're getting ready to leave. It's like, we got to get out of here. Uh, some of the, the mothers and uh, the dudes and, and the kid, they're like on this old ship. And they're, they're trying to get it started. The guard docks, they're sort of at that, they're at that like uh, ship impound yard or whatever where Andor's like borrowed ships before. The guard dogs start barking. And then one of the mothers pulls out her gun and B2's like, Cassian. And it's him and Bix. Andor starts giving orders like, okay, when you go, you got to fly out this way and then pull up at the last minute and, you know, everything like that. Basically, how to get out of there undetected and, and stuff like that. So apparently, he's not going with them. And he tells B2 to watch Bix until he comes he's like i'll find you and b2's like you he's like i'll be backward and he's like you always say that and bix like he'll find us he's like he always does and he's like i will find you so then mon her husband and her daughter are they're at their place they go they meet with the gangster dude his wife and son and the daughter because she's so into the custom stuff now so she's not phased by this so she's totally okay which is just weird uh, Luthen rides his bike back to the outskirts where his ship is parked. He gets on his ship. He's like 
you know, kind of looking around. And then Cassian's there. And Cassian's like, you came here to kill me, didn't you? Luthen's like, you don't make it easy. And Cassian's like, I will now. He like nods like towards, he set his gun down like on a table or something like that. So Luthen goes and picks it up. He's like, what game is this? And Cassian's like, no game. He's like, kill me or take me in. So then Luthen looks at the gun. He like kind of scoffs and smiles. And then Andor sighs in relief. So basically, he's like, I guess Andor's like, I, I want to join the rebellion. You know, he after seeing everything that happened or all that. And that's how it ends. But there is an after credit scene. It's not really much or whatever, but you see these little like spider droids. They're like working and stuff. They're out, out in space. And then they're working on the Death Star basically. And what what's cool is you see they're building the dish for the Death Star, but it's it's like in floating in pieces, like in rings, like out outside, like where it's gonna get put together and placed in there. So it's kind of cool how how it's done like that. So the only thing I I can wonder is the at the prison where Cassian was. They're probably building parts for the Death Star. I mean that's the only thing. What. I'm assuming this prison is run by the Empire, and I mean, yeah, it was because there was the, the the battle whatever security droids thing. So they're they're probably like forcing these people into labor to build it because like how else are you going to build such a massive thing? That's the end of the, of the season. So it was. Um, I mean, it, the, in terms of action, it really picks up that that episode. Things go go crazy. But that's the the weird thing about the show is there's so many times where it's like nothing was really happening, and so it's a little more sophisticated. And it, I, I guess it all depends on you know if you want like immediate gratuitous action, you know that's one thing. You don't get that here. But there's a buildup of the characters and the story, and some of it I feel like took a little too long. But it was really cool and, and good to see how everything came together. So how long till season two? Not really sure, but it'll probably be a little bit. You know, they got to fly out to locations and, you know, set everything up. It's, it's going to take a while. Okay, and now Wednesday. So Wednesday Adams, it's a Netflix show. And I have to say, I, I'm really enjoying this show. So I'm only going to talk about episodes one through four this week because, you know, I, I, I'm compel- I feel compelled to go into detail with, with stuff. Especially, you know, it's, it's hard to say because I haven't watched all of it. And it's it's hard to say. Well, this little thing happened. This might be a big deal later. And if I if I don't mention it, I might forget about it, or then I'm gonna have to kind of reference it. And so we'll, we'll see how how long it's gonna take me to, to get through all this. But I'm really liking the show. And I think I've mentioned before. I I was never really into the Adams Family show. I was more into the Munsters. You know, because it felt like it was. It's kind of like a Star Wars and a Star Trek. It felt like you had to like one versus embracing both of them. So I just never really watched it, and I may have seen like the first movie, and I I wasn't like super impressed or anything like that. I know I didn't I didn't see the one where Wednesday goes to like summer camp. I think that was the second one. I could be wrong. If that was the first one, then I didn't see the first one. But I have to say they do a really good job with with this this show. Jenna Ortega is amazing as Wednesday. I mean, she like nails it perfectly. Just her whole demeanor, the way she walks, the way she just like stands there and everything like that. And the the weird thing is, I'm, I'm looking at I'm, at first. I'm like, how tall or how lack of tall is Jenna Ortega? She's like five foot one. Because a lot of times she looks super super short. I think she's like twenty years old or something like that. But she looks like she could be 
easy, like a, a young high school kid, you know, however, how old she's supposed to be. Uh, I, I'm assuming like high school age, like maybe, maybe like 15 she's supposed to be. I don't know. But she's just, she looks young. She's got the role. She, and just the way she like her eye movement, you know, because you, you would think it's like, oh, Wednesday is like expressionless or whatever. But like, no, you, you have to act that. You have to portray that. And one of the, the little things, the subtle things where like, there's been a, a more than once where someone goes to move to like hug her or something like that. And she does this little super tiny, like flinch back because she doesn't want, she's not a hugger. She doesn't want anyone touching her type of thing, but just, just the subtle way she does it. And almost like a little tiny, the tiniest glimpse of like shock, like what, you know, don't touch me type of thing. It's just, it's the little details like that. Just, just really imp- impressed me. The show itself I'm getting a lot of like a uh, chilling adventures of Sabrina vibe because you know we have the school going on, we have the different kids and different like cliques and, and whatever. That's not necessarily a bad thing because you know I, I I like that show uh, for the most part and you know I, I do miss miss that that show. So it's because like otherwise, what else you know are you gonna do with with this show? This is basically you know it's a show about Wednesday. It's not about the Adams family. So you know of course there's gonna be kind of like the, the school drama stuff and, and other aspects. But then there's the fact that you got these people with kind of powers and stuff like that in a world where people don't have powers. And it's interesting how it, it seems that people are aware that they exist and they're like, okay with it. So that's, that's the weird thing for me to, to grasp starting with, with the, the coverage episode one one Wednesday's child is full of woe. There's all these titles I think are, have woe in there. So it, it starts off at Nancy Reagan High School. I don't know if there's any significance to that or not. Wednesday is walking down the hall. She f- finds her brother, Pugsley. He's tied up and crammed in his locker. There's like an apple in his mouth. There's like writing and stuff like on, on, on I'm assuming it was his locker, but it's like calling him a freak and, and stuff like that. So then she's like, I want names. And she's like, now. And he's like, what all happened so fast? She starts to untie him. And then she gets like this psychic flash, this vision. She sees the jocks who did it. Then he's like, are you Okay. She narrates to us that she's not about to confess her brother that she's been plagued with visions lately. But then, uh, you know, because they, they come without warning and it, she says it feels like electroshock therapy without the satisfying afterburn. She tells him to leave this to her. And he's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And she's like, what I do best. So the jocks are in the, the school pool. I guess they're like on a water polo team. Then she walks up to her like, hey, look, it's Pigsley's sister instead of Pugsley. And she's like, the only one who gets to torture my brother is me. She holds up two bags, like a piranhas. <laughs> Where the heck does she get two bags of piranhas during the school day? I mean, she, she must have left campus and come back. So she plops them in the pool. And then she actually smiles a, a bit, which is, you know, you don't expect Wednesday to see her smile. They're like swimming through. One guy chomp, chomps them like in the crotch or something like that. So then we see Lurch is driving a family through this wooded road. Morticia and Gomez are like singing and they're, they're kissing in the back. And Wednesday's just like s- staring at them like in disgust and shock. Uh, Pugsley is like sitting up front with Lurch. Then Morticia asks, how long are you giving us the cold shoulder? And Gomez says like, oh, you'll love Nevermore. It's like the perfect school for you. And Mother says that you'll finally be along the peers who understand you. And Dad says, it's a magical place. He's like, where I met your mother and fell in love. Uh, Wednesday tells Lurch, she's like, can you tell my parents that they're making me nauseous and not in a good way or something like that? So one boy's, the, the one boy who got bit, you know, I, I think Mortish says that they were going to uh, charge her for attempted murder or something like that. 
And she's like, and how would that look on your record? And Wednesday's like, terrible. Everyone would know that I failed. <laughs> then we see at school, Gwendolyn Chrissy shows she's principal Larissa Weems. So Weems asks her about her name. She's like, oh, was your name from the day you were born? And Wednesday's like, I was born on Friday the 13th. Morticia says that her name comes from a line from her favorite nursery rhyme, Wednesday's Child is Full of Woe, which is the name of the episode. Weems tells Wednesday that she and her mother were roommates back in the day. Then she notes, she looks at the record, that Wednesday's been to eight schools in five years, and Wednesday's like, they haven't built one strong enough to hold me. Weems like, well, we don't usually accept students midterm, but because of your perfect grades and your family's long history with the schools, I spoke with the board and they've made an exception. So, and then she, uh, we find out Wednesday has court-ordered therapy sessions. Weems says that, you know, she even assigned her to her mother's old dorm, Ophelia Hall. She's taken to meet her new roommate, and there's like this big circular window. It's almost like a stained glass window because there's like all this color shining through. And her roommate comes up. She's like just so like bubbly and like full excitement. And you know she's blonde. She's got a little color in her in her hair, like some pink and blue on on the sides. Her name's Enid Sinclair. Then she asks Wednesday, she's like, "Are you feeling okay? You look a little pale." And Gomez like, "Oh, she always looks half dead." So, and this is the part where she goes to give Wednesday a hug and she like kind of steps back, whatever. And Morticia's like, oh, please excuse Wednesday. She's allergic to color. And Enid's like, what happens to her? And Wednesday's like, I break out into hives and then the flesh peels off my bones. And Enid's like, ooh. Weems asks Enid to take uh, Wednesday to the registrar's office and get her uniform and her schedule and to give her a tour on the way. Wednesday like glares at her parents <laughs> as she walks out. So she tells uh, Enid not to give her the sales pitch on the place. She doesn't plan on staying long. Her parents have been looking for an excuse to send her there. And then she sees like a picture of her mom on like the fencing team. And she says all part of their nefarious yet completely obvious plan to turn her into a version of themselves. And she shows, uh, Enid shows her the quad. And Wednesday immediately looks, she's like, it's a Pentagon. And Enid says, you know, she's like, the snarky goth girl act won't work here. And she points out the four main cliques. There's the, the fangs, furs, stoners, and the scales. So the fangs are vampires, and some have been there literally for, for decades. The furs are werewolves like Enid. Wednesday assumes uh, the scales are the sirens. And she's like, yep. And this one girl, Bianca Barkley, she's the closest thing Nevermore has to royalty. And she used to date the resident artist, Xavier, but they broke up. And then this kid comes up to Enid to warn her about her roommate. She's like, the gossip is that she eats human flesh. So he didn't see Enid's like standing behind her. And she she's like, I actually feed, you know, flesh to my menagerie of pets or something like that. And he looks at her. He's like, whoa. He's like, you're in black and white, like a living Instagram filter. We don't hear about the stoners. The stoners are, we find, I find out later, I didn't realize it. They turn people to stone. They're like, like Medusa. You know, with the, with the, whatever, more on that later. So then she gets her uniform, which it's weird because it's black, like with black, black and gray, and everyone else is like black and purple. But first, they made an exception for her for some reason. Maybe it's because she does have an allergic reaction to color. So she sees off her family, you know, they're about to leave. Pugsley hugs her, and, you know, she's like, You're soft and weak. You'll never survive without me. I give you two weeks. And he's like, yeah, I'll miss you too. Morticia wants to talk to her alone. And she's like, any plans you have of running away end right now. She's like, I've alerted all family members. The moment you darken their doorsteps, they'll contact us. So she's like, you have nowhere to go. And Wednesday says, you know, as usual, you underestimate me. 
So she's like, I will escape this educational penitentiary and you will never hear from me again. She says that, you know, Wednesday will grow to love nevermore. And she got her a gift. So like a little pendant thing. So it's like a W or M or something like that. It's made out of obsidian, which Aztec priests use to conjure visions. It's a symbol of their connection. And she's then uh, Wednesday's like, I am not you and I never will. I'll never fall in love, be a housewife or have a family. And Morticia says, she's like, I'm told girls your age say hurtful things and I shouldn't take it to heart. And Wednesday says, fortunately, you don't have one. And Morticia smiles. Finally, a kind word for your mother. Then she gives her like a crystal ball, like a, a, a pouch or case or whatever like that, so that she can call her after she's settled in. Then Gomez hands her a handkerchief in a car. He's like, oh, don't worry. He's like, our little scorpion won't be alone. And then he hits a switch and then a severed hand drops from beneath the car. So it's, it's thing. Hiker in the woods, you know, he, he was hitchhiking. He gets off. He gets attacked by something later we see like his his bloody backpack the police find his body like torn to pieces like in, in sections like his head's there torso's there and there's like some parts missing or something like that so he's not eaten uh it matches a profile to two other attacks last week then sheriff's like he says not to let other campers in, uh, into the woods tell the press that it was a bear attack and he says that he knows the murders are connected to nevermore but he just can't prove it yet enid comes into the room and she's upset to see Wednesday took off like the colored film, like on half the window. She's like, what the hell did you do to my room? And Wednesday's like, I was dividing it equally. She's like, it looked like a rainbow vomited on your side. And then she's like, silence would be appreciated. And, you know, she like cuts her off right away when she starts saying, uh, then she says, you know, this is her writing time. So she devotes an hour a day to her novel. And she's like, perhaps if you did the same, your vlog might be coherent. Cause, uh, Enid has like doing like the, the gossip blog or something like that. She's like, I've read serial killer diaries with more with better punctuation. Then Enid's like, I write in my voice. It's my truth. It's what my followers love. And Wednesday's like, Well, your followers are clearly imbeciles. They's like they re respond to your stories with insipid little pictures. And Enid's like, they're emojis. They convey feelings, which clearly you don't have or you don't understand. And Wednesday's like when you know she's like when i look at you the following emojis come to mind rope shovel hole and then she's like oh by the way there's two d's in adams if you're going to gossip about me at least spell my name correctly then enid starts playing like happy music and dancing and wednesday's like turn that off it's like this is your final warning and enid holds up her, her hands and like colored claws you know because she's got nail polish or whatever they, they pop out of her hands it's like well yeah she said well this kitty's got claws it's like i'm not afraid to use them then Miss Thornhill walks in, played by Christina Ricci. So she wants to see how Wednesday's settling in. Her, her boots are muddy. So I'm like, she's like, oh, sorry for the muddy, you know, my muddy boots. Is there any reason that they're muddy? She, um, she's also, she works in a, the the greenhouse. She does like a plant, but, but not botany, but something. So anyways, she sees the rooms divided in half. She, she mentions she's a dorm mom. Wednesday says that Enid's been smothering her with hospitality and she hopes to return the favor in her sleep. And Enid just kind of like, what? So Thornhill gives Wednesday a flower and she always tries to match with the student profile. So Wednesday's like, it's a black dahlia. And Thornhill's like, you know it? And Wednesday's like, of course. It's named after my favorite unsolved murder. Thank you. So then Thornhill gives the rules, lights out at 10, no loud music and no boys ever. Then she asks, uh, uh, Wednesday asks about going into town. 
Miss Thornhill says that passage into town is a privilege, not a right. It's a brisk 25-minute walk, or there's a shuttle on weekends. And the locals are a tad bit wary about Nevermore, so you know, don't try to stir things up. The fencing class, Wednesday walk in. She's wearing a black outfit instead of white. Thing is like watching. Bianca Barkley, the, the, the siren uh, school queen or whatever, she asks Coach, she's fighting this, this guy, Rowan, and she's like, when am I going to get a real challenge? And she's like, does anyone else want to face me? And Wednesday's like, I do. And Bianca's like, oh, you must be the psychopath they lit in. And Wednesday's like, and you must be the self-appointed queen bee. Uh, and then she's like, the thing about bees, you pull out their stinger and they drop dead. And Bianca kind of like flinches a little at that. So they start fighting. Like first point to Wednesday, second point to Bianca. Then Bianca's like, that first point was luck. And Wednesday says to the coach, for the final point, I'd like to invoke military challenge. No mask, no tips. Winner draws, first blood. And the coach is like, it's your decision, Bianca. So it's a good fight. They're like all over the place, not just in their little area. There's like some kicks and some flips and, and stuff like that. But then Bianca finally slashes at uh, Wednesday's forehead, like at her temple. And she's like, your face finally got the color it needed. I, I feel like it, I, I feel like it was luck, but maybe it wasn't all luck. I don't know. In the infirmary, the, the kid that Bianca was fighting, Rowan, uh, he he says that he knows how Wednesday feel. And she's like, I guarantee you do not. He says that, you know, his mother told him he'd fit in. Then he was an outcast among outcasts. And it looks like that she's going to give him a run for his money as being the school outcast. Then he's like, you know, sorry about the Nick. And she's like, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, they put a little like bandaid on her forehead out in the quad. She's like walking, you know, and then this like dragon gargoyle statue thing. It's like you, it gets pushed off the roof, falls towards her. She just looks up. Someone calls out her name, like shoves her out of the way. And then she's like out. She wakes up in an infirmary and, you know, she starts talking. So she says that, you know, she doesn't want to be saved because of chivalry. Then the, the guy says that consider it uh, him returning a favor. He's like, you probably don't remember me, Xavier Thorpe. He's like, when we last met, I was about two feet shorter and 40 pounds heavier. He was like, it was my godmother's funeral. So she was friends with Wednesday's grandmother. They were 10 and decided to play hide and seek. He got the bright idea to hide in her casket. He got stuck and it was headed to the crematorium. She she said that she heard muffled screams. You know, She's like, she just figured that his godmother had somehow cheated death and was trying to claw her way out. He's like, well, either way, you hit the big red stop button and save me. So now we're even. More typing. She's working a story. Then she hears something. She pulls a cover. I knew it. Hello, thing. So she she grabs thing. So she's like, you have two options. She's like, I either lock you in my drawer for the semester and you slowly go crazy and ruin your your nails or your you know your cuticles or something like that, or you pledge your undying loyalty to me. So she's like, our first order of business is to escape this teenage purgatory. Then Weems is driving Wednesday into town. We see that there's like signs for this harvest festivals coming up. So she's going to Wednesday, Wednesday's going to her therapy session. They go, uh, she talk about her novels and stuff like that. And, you know, Wednesday's being all short and everything. Then she asks to use the bathroom. She's looking around. She is going, goes out the window, slides on the pole. Weems is like waiting outside in her car. She's on her phone. So she doesn't see Wednesday, Wednesday like take off. She bumps into this dude with apples. You know, he's like loading apples in, in like crate. She gets a vision of him in an accident and it looks pretty gruesome or something like that. 
then he calls her a freak and like watch where you're going or something like that she goes to a cafe uh then uh, the guy he can't help he's like working on an espresso machine because it's acting up so she offers to fix it and he's like well you know the instructions are italian or something like that she starts looking at it she reads it so she can read italian so tyler the barista then he offers, you know, how can he help her in exchange? And, you know, he offers the driver to the train station because there's no buses that go there or something like that. There's no taxis, I guess. But um, she has to wait an hour. So he's she, like, offers him a 20 to leave. He's like, no. Then she, like, offers 40. But he's like, I, uh, you, I won't accept the bribe because, you know, he has his job or whatever. Weems finds out Wednesday escaped because you know, the, the therapist comes out. Then these uh, three punks in pilgrim outfits, they start hassling Wednesday. They say that she's sitting in her booth because you know, she's just sitting there waiting for Tyler to get off work. They they mentioned that she's like, why are you dressed as pilgrims or whatever? They say that they work at Pilgrim World and there's like this big stare down with this one kid. And she's like, boo. And then the one lunges, the fight starts. They're going Again, she's five foot one. She easily takes them down, like all three of them. And Tyler's like, where'd you learn those kung fu moves? And she's like, my uncle taught me. The sheriff comes in, who, it, it, apparently Tyler's dad. And Tyler explains that they were harassing her and she put them in her place. Then Weems comes in and tells Wednesday, it's time to go. And the sheriff's like, wait. he's Because like, he heard that her name was Adams. He's like, don't tell me Gomez Adams is your father. That man belongs behind bars for murder. And he's like, the apple must not have fallen far from the tree. And then he's like, I'm going to keep an eye on you. So they're, they're driving back to school. They drive up past the accident or they're starting to drive to the accident. Weems like, oh, I hope the driver's okay. And Wednesday's like, he's dead, broke his neck. And Weems like, how can you see that from this angle? And then as they drive by, you can see his head is, is his neck is like at a 90 degree angle. Then uh, Wednesday just like touches a necklace that her mom gave her. Then she's playing her cello. She's playing, playing a version of Painted Black. Rowan is down in the library. He's, he uses telekinesis to grab this book. He tears out this page. There's like this two-page drawing. And there's like some girl. And there's like destruction. There's like something going on there. Tyler's looking at dad's old files. He finds one on Gomez. Uh, Gomez Adams. Sh- Sheriff is looking at this map of all the murder victims. Xavier's painting. He People start hearing Wednesday's music. Like Thornhill hears it. Weems hears it. Uh, Wednesday then tells Thing she doesn't feel any better something about this place just feels wrong and it's not because it's a school enid comes out out onto the balcony and she's like how did you get that oversized violin out the window and wednesday's like i had an extra hand and enid sees thing she's like where's the rest of him and wednesday's like it's one of the great adam's family mysteries which is a good point it's like what the heck happened where is the rest of his this thing his body then they hear howling when she's like, why aren't you wolfing out? And she's like, because I can't. It's like, my claws are all I've got. So she says that you know, her mom said that some wolves are late bloomers. You know, she's been to the best lichenologist and there's a chance she may never. And Wednesday's like, well, what then? And she's like, oh, I become a, a lone wolf. You know, she wouldn't be, be able to be in a pact or anything like that. And Wednesday's like, that sounds perfect. So she's because she says she'd be kicked out of her pact and no prospect of finding a mate. She'd die alone. And Wednesday's like, we all die alone. And Enid's like, you know, you suck at this, you know, cheering people up. And she starts crying. And, and Wednesday's like, why are you crying? And Enid's like, haven't you ever cried? Or are you above that? And she's like, it was a week before Halloween. I was six years old. 
I took my pet scorpion Nero out for an afternoon stroll and we were ambushed. And we, we see her as, a, as like a little six year old, whatever, walking a little scorpion on a leash. And she's like, they wondered what kind of freak would have a scorpion as a pet. So two of them held her, her down and made her watch while some others ran Nero over on, on her bike. And, you know, and then she's like, it was snowing when I buried what was left of him. I cried my little black heart out, but tears don't fix anything. So I vowed never to do it again. And then Ina's like, your secret is safe with me. She's like, I, I th still think you're weird as poop, though. And then she's like, the feeling is incredibly mutual. Then she asked, you know, how would she, would she like, you know, having her single room back? And she would just need to show her how to use a computer. So Thing knocks on Tyler's bedroom window. He like freaks because he sees a hand. He tries hitting with a baseball bat, and then Thing takes the bat away, flicks of like the phone kind of at him, and then written on his palm, it's like, "Call me." And there's like a number there, and it says Wednesday. So he does like a video call to Enid's laptop, and then she's like, "That's Thing." And then Thing like, uh, he's like, "Is that your pet?" And Thing like flips him off, and she's like, "He's sensitive." <laughs> okay. So she says that the Harvest Festival is this weekend and attendance is mandatory, so she's going to use it as cover if he's still willing to drive her to the station. Enid uh, wishes her luck at the festival carnival thing. Weems is like watching her carefully. Xavier uh, comes up to her and seems put off when Tyler comes up. So it's like, what, what's that all that about? Tyler says that his dad hit him with a curfew, so they'll have to leave now. Then they, they meet at the parking lot after she manages to distract Weems. Uh, he gives her her dad's uh, police file before she decides to leave because he thought she should look at, at it. Then the three pilgrim bully dudes like blocked her paths with bat. And Tyler's like, he's like, we can lose him in a crowd. So they start running. She bumps into Rowan and then she gets a, a vision. There's like some ritual, like burning of a tree. Then he like screams. Tyler says that they need to go and she hesitates, but then she goes after Rowan because he runs out in the woods. Xavier sees, you know, that they're going and he yells, you know, He's like, what do you want? Or something like that. So she's running after Rowan and Rowan's, he's like, you know, he's like, she's like, I don't have time to explain, but you're in danger. And he's like, I think you got it backwards. And then he uses his telekinesis sense, her flying back against, up a, a, against a tree, like up in the air. He says that he's saving everyone from her. And she's like, I, or he says that he has to kill her. And she's like, the gargoyle, that was you. And the, the page that he ripped, from the book flies up by her and he's like that's you and she's like you want to kill me because of some picture he says that his mother drew that 25 years ago when she was a student at nevermore she was a powerful seer told him about it before she died and he he says his mother told him it was his destiny to stop this girl if she ever came to nevermore because she will destroy the school and everyone in it then he gets attacked by this giant beast and it's like not a wolf it's like some weird thing or like that it's just like and then she crawls up to him and she sees that, you know, he's dead. Because the beast, like, just looks at it, just, like, leaves. So it doesn't attack her. So it's like, what's going on? Back at her room, she looks at the picture uh, and the police report. Her parents call her in a crystal ball. They ask her how her first week was. And she thinks, you know, to, to herself how she narrowly avoided death twice. She discovered a father may be a murderer. She learned that she could potentially destroy the school. And she was mysteriously saved by a homicidal monster. And she, then she's like, it pains her to admit it, but mother was right. She thinks she's going to love it here. Episode 102, Woe is the Loneliest Number. 
And then, you know, she's like, the story is about to take a dark turn. She's like, usually I love dark turns. But then you see, like, police and dogs, like, searching the woods. At Nevermore the next day, Wednesday asked the sheriff how he could, you know, miss a dead body. And he's like, it wasn't there. There's no footprints, no blood, no sign of struggle. You know, the search party looked all, all night. Weem says that she'd guess Rowan ran away. Wednesday wants to talk to the sheriff alone. But, you know, Weems doesn't really like that. You know, so she agrees. Wednesday says that someone is trying to cover up a murder. She says that he can't reject her claims because both of them know that there's a monster out there. Then like the deputy lady, whatever, opens the door. She's like, uh, Sheriff, you're going to want to see this. Rowan's there, and he's like smiling. He's like, hey. Wednesday talks to her therapist. He wants to know why her therapist wants to know why she says she witnessed a murder when there wasn't one. You know, was it for the attention? And Wednesday's like, I'm not going to fall for your one of your psychological traps. And she's like, I know what I saw. Outside, she runs into Tyler and he's surprised that she decided to stick around. She says that she's legally required to stay there. And she says that everyone, including his father, thinks that she made it up. Well, he's like, well, for what it's worth, I believe you. Enid is getting others to do like some boat painting. There's some, some competition or something coming up. These like canoes. And, you know, she doesn't want Bianca to win again. She sees Wednesday and says that she's glad she decided to stick around you know, she actually doesn't like being solo in a room. And she's like, plus, thing gives a killer back massage. So it's win-win. So there's this, like, Poe cup, this canoe race thing coming up that, you know, she's all excited about. It's writing time. Uh, Wednesday's stuck. You know, she doesn't know what to write. She's staring at, at the picture. She's, then she sees, like, a watermark in a corner. She goes to Weems because she wants to talk to, to Rowan. She can't find him. Weems like, he's been expelled. And... Wednesday's like, why? And Weems is like, never you mind. It's like, he'll be on the first train out this afternoon. So she asks Wednesday, why was she out in the woods? And she's like, I already said. She's like, I heard a noise. And I went to investigate. And then Weems is like, you had a vision, didn't you? It's like, your mother started having them around your age. And she, tell Wednesday, she tells Wednesday that she needs to pick an extracurricular activity by the end of the day. So she tries different things. She like goes to choir. And then she like opens her mouth. And she hits a note that only dogs can hear. And, you know, like this one kid's glasses shatter and something like that. Uh, she, she goes to like archery, Xavier's there. And so she's, you know, talks about like Bianca and Xavier because they, you know, they used to be together. But then he's just, she was starts talking about Rowan or something like that. But then, you know, he's like shooting. He's not very good at archery. When it's her turn, she grabs this apple that's sitting there. She tosses it up, shoots an arrow, it pierces the apple and goes straight to the bullseye. Then there's beekeeping. So she's, you know, trying all these different activities there's only one kid there eugene this like nerdy kid and then thing like motions her because rowan's leaving so thornhill is driving him and she tells wednesday she's like you're not supposed to be here thing hitches a ride and then thing follows rowan to into the strange station rowan goes into a bathroom stall emerges as an old dude and you know thing when it catches up, goes in the bathroom, sees just the luggages in the stall and goes out like the guy's gone. So thing didn't see what happened. The dude goes down some stairs and then shape changes into Weems. So Weems is a shape shifter. And for some reason, she decided to cover up that Rowan is missing. At uh, whatever plant class that Thornhill's doing, you know, you can see there's a competition between Wednesday and Bianca because Bianca's like a know-it-all, but Wednesday knows it all too. Wednesday asks Enid to help her distract Weems so she can head out into the woods. Enid says that she's asking her because um, Thing is mad at her. She's like, we gave each other manis and he really opened up to me. 
So she wants Wednesday to apologize and then she'll help. So Wednesday, she does, whatever. And then she goes to the, the woods while Enid is in the bee hut. Tyler grabs her so her his dad doesn't see her. And he says that he wants to help. And he's like, what happened in the woods? And, and she tells him that she went after Rowan, thinking he was in danger, and she got it wrong. He used telekinesis, and the monster gutted him. Then she finds his busted glasses on, on the ground. She gets another vision, sees him pushing a gargoyle, grabbing the book with an image, and Xavier yelling at him. And, like, flings him against the wall or something like that. So they got in some argument. Wednesday and Thing go to the library to look for the book in her vision, but she can't really find it. Thornhill comes down, like, surprised that she's there. And Wednesday shows her the watermark from the book that she's looking for. And she's like, mm, it looks like it might be a symbol to an old student society, the nightshades or something. But, you know, they're, they're just disbanded. Because Wednesday's like, oh, like the deadly flower. And then Thornhill's like, yeah. She's like, I was impressed with your answers in class. And then Wednesday says that her her mom was into, like, carnivorous plants or something like that. Thornhill says that, you know, she understands it must be hard coming in mid-semester. You know, she's been there for a year and a half, but she still doesn't feel like she fits in. And Wednesday's like, is it because you're a normie? And she's like, Enid told me. And, and Thornhill's saying how there's, there's still, like, a handful of teachers who barely acknowledge her. Wednesday says that, you know, she acts like she doesn't care if people don't like her, but deep down, she secretly enjoys it. <laughs> So Thornhill's like, don't ever lose that. You know, the ability not to let others define you, is it's a gift. And Wednesday's like, it doesn't always feel that way. So Thornhill says the most interesting plants grow in the shade. So if she ever needs someone to talk to, the conservatory door is always open. Xavier returns from a run. He goes into the bathroom in his room. Wednesday and Thing are there. They're looking for that purple book. Because I, I don't know if it, Rowan and, and Xavier were roommates before, before Rowan disappeared. So she finds this hidden compartment under the bed, and there's like a mask there. It's kind of like a masquerade mask. Then there's a knock on the door, and it's Bianca. So, you know, she's hiding under the bed. Uh, Xavier pulls her in because she's not supposed to be there, and she says that she's there to see see how he's doing, and she asks about how he's following Wednesday around like a lost puppy, and it's like, you know, what does he even see in her? And he's like, well, maybe it's because, you know, she doesn't try to manipulate me. And because you know she's a siren, she has that ability. So he—that's why they broke up. And she's like, "Well, we were good together, weren't you know?" And he's like, "Were we?" He says that you know Wednesday Adams, or she says Wednesday Adams isn't the girl of his dreams. She's like, she's like nightmare stuff. Wednesday returns to her room. Enid's crying on her bed, and she's like, "There you are." She's like, "I'm having a panic attack." She says, "You know, one of the girls had a garlic incident, and now you know she doesn't have a co-pilot for the canoe race thing." And Wednesday's like, "It wasn't an accident." She's like, "Bianca's behind it." And she's like, how do you know? And she's like, it doesn't matter. And she's like, you and I are going to take her down tomorrow. She's like, you're joining the Black Cats? She's like, you would do that for me? And she takes a, a step towards her again. And Wednesday takes a step back. She's like, I want to humiliate Bianca so badly that the bitter taste of defeat burns in my throat. Uh, but then she's like, yeah. Or Ina's like, yeah, but mostly you're doing it because we're friends, right? And Wednesday just ignores the question. And she tells her how to tell her how she keeps winning. So the past two years, no other boat has made it across and back without sinking. Wednesday's like, sounds like sabotage. And Ina's like, well, there are no rules in a poke cup, and she is a siren, which makes her a master of the water. Then Wednesday's like, well, we just need to beat her at her own game. So the next day, Wednesday finds out that she has to wear a costume. It's like a cat suit. And Bianca's like, when she sees her, she's like, oh, look, it's the run to the litter. And Wednesday's like, for the record, I don't think I'm better than everyone else, because that's what 
uh, Bianca said in Xavier's room. And she's like, looks at her. She's like, I just think I'm better than you. Wednesday and thing were working on something all night. So she didn't, doesn't tell Enid. She wants it to be a surprise. Bianca motions to some dude like sitting on, on the side on a dock, like down the river. And he jumps into the water. He turns into like a mermaid or mer, mer, mermail, mer dude, whatever. This other uh, canoe has like this axe that swings out. They all like duck. So there are really no rules. The dude in the water starts like pushing a boat like sideways. They smash into a buoy and it, like it breaks. So Wednesday sees the dude's tail. So she tells Thing to hit a switch. This It shoots out a net and it captures him. The, the boat goes to an island. Wednesday tells Enid to stay so no one messes with their boat. And Enid tells Thing to distract them. So he flicks a stone at some other guys and then flips them off. So they go after Enid uh, slashes their canoe, puts a big hole in there. Wednesday runs to like where the flags, they're supposed to run to this little cottage thing where there's flags, grab the flag, go back to your boat and, and go, go back to where they started. She touches the flag. She gets this vision and she's like there, but it's like all kind of moody. And then she see like this, this girl, like kind of all white and almost looks like her, but she's like in this old dress and she's like, you are the key. Bianca and the other girl, then they're like, oh, you taking a cat nap, you know, in, in the real world or whatever. And then she just like looks up at the structure and then she runs. So Xavier's boat is starting to, to sink. The gold bugs, which is Bianca, and the black cats are the final two teams. Wednesday hits another switch and these like kind of like spikes stick out. The mermaid dude starts pushing them towards the boy. So he, he got out of the net. And then Thing goes over, <laughs> goes up to the dude, punches him in the face, knocks him out. And then uh, they use the spike on Bianca's boat. And so her boat starts taking water, starts sinking. So Enid and Wednesday, their, their team wins. And Enid's like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Wednesday looks over at Bianca climbing out of the water. And she's just like so angry. At a trophy ceremony, Wednesday leaves a celebration to go sit by herself because it's like too much. She sees a, she's like by the statue of the Edgar Allan Poe statue. He's got like a raven and he's holding a book in his hand. When she like looks up, she sees a symbol on, on the book like that he's holding. It's the same as from the, the watermark. So Enid comes in and gets her and asks her, you know, what's she doing? And she's like hiding. People keep randomly smiling at me and it's unsettling. Then she, um, she's Enid's like, you took down Bianca. She's like, try to enjoy it. So she's like, the girls want to know if you want to hang out later. She's like, it won't kill you. And Wednesday's like, I'll think about it. Then Weems goes up to Wednesday and says that she's just like her mother. Wednesday doesn't agree. But Weems says that the last time Ophelia Hall won the Poe Cup, her mother was a captain. And she's like, I was her co-pilot. So Bianca's sulking. Another, uh, it's like talking to dudes like, it was your job. Talk to the, the, the mermaid dude. It was your job to help us win. And she's like, she's never lost. And she's like, never. And he, you can see he has a black eye from thing. Wednesday's typing. Enid sleeps with the, the trophy. Then she writes the, the place has more questions than answers. Sometimes the answer is staring her right in the face. She goes back to the Edgar Allan Poe statue. And then she like looks up at the book that's like in his hand. And there's like words on the pages. There's like riddles. So she writes down the answers to the riddles. You know, she's able to get them right away. Then she looks at all the words. She circles like the first letter in each word and it says snap twice. So she does. And then the raven on the statue kind of lowers its wings and the statue kind of rolls back and it reveals like a hidden passage. So she walks in. 
There's some stairs that lead down. There's portraits on the walls. There's like a hidden library. You see a picture of her parents in one of the pictures. Then she sees a purple books. She can see like on a shelf where one book's been moved because the dust is like is wiped. She sees or finds a ripped page and then she puts a book in her backpack. But then someone puts a bag over her head and that's where the episode ends. Episode 103, Friend or Woe. Uh, her wrists are tied behind her back. There's a group of cloak, you know, they take the bag up. There's a group of cloak people in, the, in like in a circle. A voice is like, who dares breach our inner sanctum? And she's like, you can take the mask off, Bianca. And so she takes off her hood and masquerade mask. The others do too. And there's like other, like Xavier's or other kids. Then Wednesday says to Bianca, she's like, wait, I prefer it on. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Xavier's like, how'd you get down here? And she says, Rowan showed her. And she's like, left pocket. The folded picture's there. She mentions a watermark and a riddle. And a mermaid's like, wait, wait there's a riddle? I thought we just snapped twice. And they're like, oh, you're so dumb. One of the other kids said that. Bianca says the Nightshades is an elite social club, emphasis on elite. Another says that they have roof parties, campouts, and an occasional skinny dip. And then one is a herb, not a herbologist, but something is like knows how to make a killer virgin mojito. It can get pretty wild. And Wednesday's like, wow, do you guys even have a bedtime? And then she's like, you know, last she heard the Nightshades had been disbanded. And, you know, because a, a norm had gotten killed years ago, but they have like rich families or, or rich parents that, you know, so they can do what they want, I guess. Bianca says, the question is, what do we do with you? It's like only members are allowed in the library. Xavier's like, well, I say we invite her to pledge. And another's like, what? Xavier points out that, you know, she is a legacy because there's a picture of her parents. And Bianca's like, after the crap she pulled in a poke cup, there's no way in hell. Wednesday's like, just because I beat you at your own game, and she's like, let me save the trouble. I'm not interested in joining. There's one girl, Yoko's like, you're seriously turning us down? And Wednesday, sarcastic, like, can you believe it? <laughs> Bianca says, untie her. And she's like, I untied myself five minutes ago. And she holds up the rope. Then, you know, she gets up to leave. Mermaid boy stands in her way. She's like, do you want a matching black eye? And she's like, you know, shoves a rope on his chest. And then she walks up the stairs. She stops. She's like, amateurs like you give kidnapping a bad name. So then she's looking at the book in her room. She still doesn't know how Rowan rose from the dead. Also, if it's her in the book, why is she sharing the spot with a pilgrim? So then the next day they have to go to town. This new statue is being erected in the town square. She, she talks to Xavier. She shows in the book. He says that he'd seen it before, and he admits that it was on Rowan's desk. He confronted him about taking it, the, the book after he was kicked out of the nightshades. And then he went ballistic on him. So this is what she saw in the vision. He says that it's weird that she's in the journal because it's like 30 years old. And, you know, why is she with Crackstone? And she's like, you know who this is? He's like, yeah, it's Joseph Crackstone. He's like Jericho's founding father. So the other town there. The mayor goes up to the sheriff. So his son was the one who like really started the fight with, got in her face about the, at the coffee shop. Sheriff makes a, a comment about how Nevermore kids, you know, the connection to the beast in the woods or whatever. And the mayor says that, you know, Jericho depends on Nevermore. It's like, you know that. It's like, who do you think pays for the roads and this or whatever? And even your salary. Wednesday convinces Enid to So they were given like volunteer jobs. And so Wednesday got with this antique store. Enid got Pilgrim World where she was excited because she's good at like being social with people or something like that. But once... Wednesday hears about Crackstone, she wants to switch and go to Pilgrim World. She convinces her to switch because this boy Ajax that she likes is also going to be in, in the antique store. 
And so she really wants to, you know, look into the Crackstone. Wednesday gets into another fight with the bullies because they're picking on Eugene and everything. Uh, Wednesday then leaves because, you know, she, she wants to find out where Crackstone's stuff is, like, you know, his museum, basically, because it, it was uh, closed under renovations. So she, she goes in there with Eugene, and she, then she sees this painting, and the girl from her vision at the when she got the flag was there. She looks in this case, there's this like book of shadows, but it's fake. And then uh, they get busted by this one lady that was like overseeing like their volunteering stuff. But it turns out this lady doesn't really know much either because she moved there from you know something like like a couple years ago. So Enid, she's been talking to Ajax in the antique store, and then you know she's like trying all this stuff. You know, she she finally admits that she was flirting with him and everything like that, and she wants to go behind the conservatory and you know because there's like a blue moon coming or something like that, and he's like, well, that's where people go to make out, and she's like, mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, do you want to go there? And she's like, yes. Wednesday manages to sneak off again to the woods. She goes to the remains because she's looking for the the building in the painting, and it's like somewhere. So she goes there. She gets another vision. Uh, the girl is being grabbed. She's being shoved by townsfolk. They have like torches. Uh, we find out her name is Goody Adams, and she's been judged before. You know, Crackstone's like you've been judged before God and found guilty. You are a witch and a sorceress, so they're gonna burn her. Goody accuses Crackstone of stealing the land and doing like all his bad stuff or whatever like that, and she like she slashes his face with a knife, and then he starts talking about how you know they're all outcasts and they need to be taken out of there and it's like that so they're like shoved in this barn they like lock the door and he's like set it ablaze so goody's like looks around she finds her mother chained in there her mother tells goody that there's no time because you know she's trying to get the chains off of her she's like run tell the others like save our future She's like, you're our only hope, which is weird because she goes to like this, this like trap door and she like opens like this thing and she goes down and then closes it behind her. But like other people, I don't know if everyone when there was chained, but it's like no one else escaped. Maybe they were, they were all chained. Wednesday wakes up. Now it's like raining, which is weird. Then she sees like, she's looking through like the, whatever the building like outside and then the monsters like on the other side. So she, it takes off running. She follows it. She's looking, you know, she's following tracks. There you see like monster tracks, but then they start changing to human tracks. And then Xavier finds her. So is Xavier somehow involved? Is he a monster? He tells her that, because uh, she had mentioned if he had heard from Rowan before, because he's like, you know, why are you so hung up on this? And he's like, yeah, he, he didn't respond to my text. So then he said that he tried texting Rowan again, but this time he texted back. So Xavier said that, you know, maybe they could meet up and go snowboarding like they did last year. And he said, yeah, only that they never went snowboarding before. So whoever responded is lying. He knows it wasn't wrong. Then somehow it's sunny again in town. So I don't know, maybe it's the next day. You know, maybe they're volunteering, whatever. I don't know. So Wednesday was told that she has to play her cello. Uh, Weems volunteered her to join the marching band. They start playing Don't Stop by Fleetwood Mac. And then thing lights a fuse that leads to the statue statue goes up in flames 
and, and then everyone's like running and freaking out Wednesday starts playing Vivaldi's winter so it's like very intense or anything like that and then the statue just melts and then like Weems like sees her still playing there so she knows that she's involved so she then later in her office she's yelling her the mayor's angry so her, like parents and the townspeople and Wednesday she's like I swear my hands are clean and you see like a flashback where Thing like knocks over like a can of gas into the, like, the fountain whatever so Thing did it all she didn't do it so Wednesday brings up the truth. She's like, and she's asked Weems, she's like, why are you helping them cover it up? You know, with stuff with crackstones. And she's like, well, you know, there's opportunity and what are all stuff like that. So then there was this homeless dude in town who, you know, he claimed that the the remains was his place when when Wednesday got there, and then she like scared him, or things scared him off or something like that. But he went to the antique store earlier, and he like stole his camera. Uh, so the monster attacks him. Then the, the camera starts like automatically snapping pics when he's, he's getting attacked. Enid goes on her, her date. She goes behind the greenhouse. You know, she's heads her, to meet with Ajax. Thornhill snaps her fingers twice by the statue. Ajax takes a shower. He puts a, a towel over the mirror. So this is when I found out that he's a Medusa because he, he's always wearing like a big hat, like a, a, a cap or beanie, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he like takes it off and you see he's got like snakes on, on his head. When he gets in the, in the shower, the towel falls off, like it like slips off the, the mirror. So when he steps out of shower, the mirror is like straight across. So he sees it, like puts his hand up and then he turns to stone. Enid is, is still waiting for Ajax, but obviously he's not going to come. He had mentioned before that it, it only lasts for a little while, like a few hours or something like that. So she's going to think that she got stood up but he's the, we see him, you know, he's just a stone statue in the shower. Weems is like drinking wine. She tears out a yearbook page with Morticia's picture. She crumples it and throws it in fire. So obviously there's some tension. There's something going on between Weems and Morticia, which you think Morticia would maybe warn Wednesday, or maybe she doesn't know that there's something going on. Therapist is so in costume. There's like the, all these like roadkill dead animals at the antique store and like in different poses and clothes. So I guess the therapist is the one making them, which... I don't think that's a big deal, but Tyler takes a bath. He sinks down into water and then he like screams. So it's like, what's up with that? Is he the monster? Xavier is in this shed. At first I was like, wait, where is this at? He, he locks the door and he has like a couple scratch marks on his neck. So it's like, where'd that come from? Police find a dead homeless guy. They find a camera. They develop the pictures, which why would you even assume that there's the camera has anything to do with it? Because the sheriff is like right there waiting uh, then he gets like a blurry look at the monster's face. Episode 104, Whoa, What a Night. At the corners, Thing enters to event, puts like some sticky tar stuff over the camera, opens the door for Wednesday. So she talks about doing an autopsy and she has her own cutting tools. And because I think her uncle taught her. She opens the drawer, she looks, she's like recording. She's making, you know, she doesn't do any chopping, but she's making like observational notes. And she says that, you know, the left foot is missing. Thing tells her then someone's coming. Sheriff is back with the coroner. And the foot, turns out, is in a jar. So the, the killer severed off, like, two toes, and they, they couldn't find him. So they talk about how, like, different body parts are have been missing. Wednesday hid actually hid in a, a drawer. The sheriff leaves, and the, the coroner is about to leave. He's going to be retiring soon, not that that matters. He sees the drawer is open. He opens it, and he sees... Wednesday's in there. He like touches her cheek. He's like, oh, she's been dead for a while. It's like, well, she can wait another day until the morning. 
and then so he leaves thing comes opens it she's like five more minutes because she's enjoying the, the cold or whatever ina talks to wednesday about her sneaking out and you know she mentions the coroners and uh the killer's taking different parts of the body and this is like kind of grossing ina out she can't handle it oh she also had like a like she i think she called like an etsy board or something like, not an etsy board was it it's a pinterest no not a pinterest board but she has like all this like the killer information stuff and ina didn't like it in their plant class or whatever wednesday notices scratches on xavier's neck and then she and thing follow him to his shed there's like painting inside and we saw before he like he drew a picture of a spider and it like pops out of the book that like, came to life or something like that maybe that has something to do with it she takes like a couple of his his drawings whatever she exits but then xavier comes back he's like what are you doing and she's like oh i was just looking for you and she's like what is this place and he's like oh it's, it's my private art studio so the uh, weems let him use it because you know he he fixed it up or something like that she's like well can i have a tour and he's like well it's, it's kind of a mess or whatever like that and he's like but why are you really here or something like that she doesn't really have a reason so she figures that she has no choice but to ask him to the weekend dance that's coming up. So Enid squeeze with, with joy when she hears that she's going to the dance. And she says that, you know, Wednesday needs a dress. And, you know, they're in town. She tries taking her just one store, but it's like super colorful. And, and Wednesdays won't have anything to do with that. But she does see this old like, black dress in the antique store in the, in the window. And I forget who else saw it. I don't know if Thornhill walked by or Weems or someone did. She just goes to the sheriff's office. She suggests they join forces. She shows him a drawing and he looks at it. He's like, oh, it's close, but not quite, whatever. And he's like, who drew it? She's, she won't say who it is. She says it's her suspect. Uh, he says, you know, bring in some concrete evidence and they'll, they'll talk. Lucas uh, Walker, the mayor's son, he wants to talk to Enid at the coffee shop because I think he wants to make someone jealous so he he wants to go to the dance for some reason or something like that wednesday runs into tyler he brings up the dance that everyone's buzzing about she's like why am i the only one who's not obsessed and he's like oh so you're not going she's like well i was forced to ask someone for not her survival but for something i forget what it was and um, then he's like well with who she says xavier and he's like upset and she's like, I'm not sure why that upsets you. And he's like, well, I'm kind of getting mixed signals. And she's like, it's not my fault. That I can't interpret your emotional Morse code. He's like, oh, I thought we liked each other. And then you you pull something like this. She says that she's dealing with a lot right now and she needs to prioritize. So he's like, okay, well, then maybe come see me when you figure things out or you find a time. And we see Wednesday had to bring her, her murder board to the bee house since Enid didn't like it. Eugene says that there's like a picture of a monster in like this hole or something like that. He's like, I recognize that hole. So it's this cave because uh, he went out looking for different bugs or something like that and saw it. Wednesday, they go out there. Wednesday goes in and he follows. He doesn't want to, but he follows her. There's like chains, like chain cuffs on the wall. There's like scratches and stuff like that. There's like a busted claw, like dug in like a crevice or like stuck in, in her. So she goes to the art shack and you know she's looking for something with matching dna for the claw she finds like some bloody rags from when whatever happened to xavier's neck so then xavier walks in he's like what are you doing and she's like how do you know what that monster looks like i was like or are they just self-portraits and he like scoffs he's like i saved your life and she's like so so did the monster or was that you tonight roan was killed and he's like oh you're so out of line right now and he finally admits that the monster had been haunting his dreams the past couple of weeks. And so he 
had no, you know, just was trying to draw them to get it out of his mind. Then he says when uh, he caught her outside before, that that's the only reason that she asked him to the dance to try to, you know, cover. And he's like, oh, you're unbelievable. And she's like, nothing personal. And he's like, nothing ever is with you. He's like, do you care about anything? He's like, get out. Also, I guess he said that one of his drawings came to life, and that's what scratched him. Wednesday goes to the sheriff with the claw and the dried blood from the suspect. And, she, you know, she's like, run the test, and then I'll tell you more, because he wants to know who, who drew it, who the suspect is. Because he's like, I don't take orders from you. But he does it anyways. She tells uh, Eugene that neither one of them has a date for the dance. And Eugene's like, what? Because Eugene wants to go with Enid, but she doesn't want, you know, she's like Ajax. But she's actually going with Lucas. So she's, he's like, oh, so we should go together? And she's like, no, we should go stake out the cave. Then uh, Bianca asks Xavier to the dance since, you know, she's not going with, or he's not going with Wednesday. Weems mentions to Thornhill that the boy she asked to the dance dumped her for another girl, Morticia. So maybe that's why Weems doesn't like Morticia. Um, so wait, maybe Weems, I didn't think about this. So maybe Weems must have, have liked Gomez. Hmm. Is that just not necessarily, you know, it could have been before they met, but that's probably what happened. Thing types up a note, delivers it to Tyler at the coffee shop. Then Tyler's at Wednesday's door at her, her room. And he's like, I got your invite. And he has, he's wearing like a white, like the, the, the theme is wearing all white, I guess. He has like a, like a corsage in a, in a box. And then she's like, give me a minute. Or so she goes back and she yells at thing. And she's like looking in her closet and, the, the dress that she saw is there. She's like, how did you pay for this? And he does a hand signal, five-finger discount. So she goes downstairs in a dress, and Tyler's like, you look amazing, whatever. Eugene comes up to her, and he's like upset because, you know, she's there's what's going on a stakeout. She's like, we'll go tomorrow. And she's like, just don't go alone. But he says he he will go alone. He says that to himself because he won't back, back off or back away from whatever challenger. Inside the dance, Xavier goes up to Wednesday because they all see them. And she, he's like, I can't believe you brought him, brought Tyler. And she's like, then he's like, well, I guess, you know, you don't know what he did to me. So she's like, well, elaborate. Lucas gets a text from his bully buddies. They're like almost there or something like that. So they're planning on something. And then um, Enid comes up to him. She's like, oh, are you looking at the hockey updates? And he, he's like, he's surprised like you followed it whatever and she's like oh yeah and she mentions her brothers and her pack and she says something about, like some some actor from a kung fu movie and that like impresses them too so it's like they're starting to hit it off now eugene's out in the woods alone wednesday later is like sitting alone tyler comes up to her and she's like xavier told me what you did to him last year about how you and your your friends assaulted him and destroyed his mural on outreach day he sits down. He's like, oh, I guess it was inevitable. He's like, I wish I could say it was an accident or that it wasn't half as bad as it sounds, but I'd be lying. He's like, I could have made, or he could have made things a lot worse for me, but he didn't. And she's like, well, why'd you do it? And he's like, I'm still trying to figure that out. And so he got sent away to a boot camp. He realized that that's not the person that he wants to be, you know, that would do stuff like that. He did a terrible thing, but he's not a terrible person. And, and she's like, you think that I was going to judge you for a lousy prank? And she's like, I would have taken it further. And he's he says, like throwing piranhas in a swimming pool. He's like, well, and she like looks at him. He's like, I may have done a little digging on you after we met. This truck, like it's like a tanker truck or something. It pulls up to the school. So it's probably the bullies. Wednesday 
goes they go inside to the dance they, she does like some kind of funky dancing and everything everyone starts like staring and then other people start dancing too so they're all getting into it then xavier's just, like sitting you know being a grump he, then he asks bianca to take off her amulet and make him forget about wednesday and she's like you broke up with me because you thought i was manipulating you and now you want me to use my powers on you for another girl and so she like gets up and leaves the, the two bullies are hooking up some hose to the school, like something. And then Lucas comes out. He's like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. And they're like, we're doing this for you because of the fountain and your dad, you know, the mayor or whatever. Eugene sees someone like by the cave. And then they like, they, whoever's there hears him, shines a light on him, runs away, explosion at the cave. And then Eugene starts running too. Wednesday comes out because her feet are hurting her. And she talks like, the high heels whoever made that and she sits next to bianca and bianca mentions like how they're you know meant to like be torment or the torture they go through or something like that and she's like i didn't see you with xavier on the dance floor and bianca's like well, we got into a tiff about you so they start talking about feelings and everything like that different things and she says how you know wednesday doesn't care about what other people think about her wednesday's like you know honestly i wish i cared a little more and Bianca's like a little like sort of caught off guard by that. Eugene's still running through the woods, and it's time for the final dance or something like that. The bullies are, are there. They pull a fire alarm, and it starts dripping red from the sprinklers. Wednesday starts smiling. Everyone like freaks out. Weems is like screaming. People are like running around or sliding in, in the blood. Wednesday like sticks her finger in the mouth, and then she's like upset. She's like, it's, "They couldn't even get human blood. It's pig's blood." Someone like bumps into her. And I don't get this. She gets a vision for some reason. Because usually she touches something and she gets a vision related to that. So somehow she sees Eugene in the woods like in danger. So unless the person that bumped into her is involved. You know, because obviously this monster is obviously a shapeshifter too. I doubt it's Weems. That wouldn't make sense. So it must be another shapeshifter. Enid sees Lucas and his friends outside. They tell her like, oh, why don't you wolf out or whatever. And I don't know if they know that she can't or something like that. Then Ajax, Ajax comes out and he's like, he's like, why don't you, you know, leave her alone or something like that. And then she, t- you know, they, they leave. She says like, I didn't even want to go with Lucas. And she's like, I wanted to go with you. And he's like, well, why didn't you ask me? And she's like, cause you blew me off the other night and never told me why. And he's like, well, I was too embarrassed. He's like, I accidentally looked in the mirror and stoned myself. And then she like laughs or something like that. Then they, they kind of get close and she like goes like, kind of touch him and her claws are out so she has to be careful and he's like oh you know maybe we should take this slow because you know they have to be careful with each other each other but then they start kissing wednesday is running into woods looking for eugene and then eugene falls and he he you know he, he trips you know elsewhere he drops his glasses so he can't find them he's kind of like velma and scooby-doo and then he finds them you know because he called out to uh wednesday it was like calling out so he he calls back to her so she's like looking for him he puts the glasses back on monsters in his face slashes him and then wednesday finds him laying there thornhill runs up she's like oh my gosh is he alive and that's where it ends so you know thornhill is supposedly a normie but you know i wonder why did she have muddy boots was she out in the mud in the woods i don't think so but someone why would they kill eugene of all people unless they can't control it you know they saved wednesday from Rowan. So who could and I you know, Weems, I don't know. Maybe she would save her. I don't know. 
that's the first half. So we'll talk about it more next week. Okay, then I just want to talk briefly about A Christmas Story Christmas. I love A Christmas Story. It's it's such an amazing movie. I, I still remember the first time I saw it. I saw it at my friend's house. And for I, I didn't realize when the movie I thought it was like an older movie because it, you know it just it feels so dated but it it's it's not an old movie obviously you know every Christmas if you ever I think you put on like a TBS it like airs 24 hours you know so we always watch it I have it on DVD which I should get like a better version of it maybe and so it's it's just like the thing we always just watch it like not every every, every Christmas you know, we watch it with, with our daughter and everything like that and it's just it's such a delightful movie. It's, it's hilarious, and you know Ralphie and um, Scott Farkas, uh, which you know he, Zach Ward. He's he's following me on Twitter when, it, when that happened. I was like, whoa! It was like Scott Farkas is following me. So it's just really cool. It's just it's an amazing movie. You know, you'll shoot your eye out. The triple docked area. Just so many great moments. There has been, I think, a couple sequels. I haven't seen them, and they're they're not good. Apparently, you know, just totally different actors and stuff like that. So this movie actually has original Ralphie. He's back. Scott Ferkus is back. Uh, Flip. Um, the, you know, everyone is back. The mom's not back because she retired from acting. I forget her her name. So there's there's a new actress playing the mom, and but I believe like pretty much all the other characters of return are are played by the same so that that really makes a difference because you know you can kind of see that and you know you can see it's not like hollywood acting you know some of these people you know maybe they haven't acted in years you know they whatever but then they're convinced or called back or whatever so it's it's great to see them return as far as the story itself it's not it's not perfect it's not as good as as the original i mean it, it can't be you know nothing can be but there are some moments you know some parts are kind of like eh, but then there are some kind of touching moments where it kind of redeems the movie at at the end so i will talk a little bit about it i won't spoil the whole thing you know it starts off it's 1973 we find out ralphie's married to someone named sandy they have kids you know boy and a girl mark and sandy or no mark wait what's the kid's name um i forgot the daughter i don't think the daughter was in it. anyways they have a boy and a girl. They they've been they saved money so Ralphie could write the next great American novel. So he, you know he's supposed to be able to write for a year. If he doesn't get published, then he has to go back to work. They're waiting for Grandpa and Grandma to get there because you know to, to start decorating because they're they're living in Chicago, like in in the sub outskirts of Chicago, whatever. And Ralphie, the Grandma and Grandpa, are from in in Indiana, so it's supposed to be two more days till they arrive. So again, so the, the deal was, you know, he had to be published by the end of the year or else he'd have to rejoin the rat race. He sent his manuscript to 16 different publishers. Uh, like we see him at one, he, he tries uh, giving this like thing of chocolate to his publisher and the publisher's like, is this a bride? And he's like, I don't know, is it? The, the publisher tells him the manuscript's like too long. It's like 2000 pages and it's like sci-fi. He's like, no one's interested in this, whatever. And so he like tells him good day, whatever. Then he's like, he says that one day, that he'll see the Aussie and he, he dreams of winning this award. Everyone's praising him. And so it's basically like when he got the, the, the C plus or the D on his, his theme. And then he has that dream. Then the publisher's like, uh, he has to like wake him up to tell him to leave. And then the grandma calls or his Rafi's mom calls. She has bad news. And his dad died. So 
now what they're going to do is they have to drive to his mom's in Indiana instead of them coming out. They get their the house is like the same. I don't know if it's the same exact house or the same set or whatever. And there's you know right away you can see the mom's different. There's you know a, a kid hillbilly kid next door, one of the the bump bump kiss kids. Which you know, just add an, another character to to the story. There's neighborhood bullies on, on snowmobiles. They they run, run, drive through like a uh, snowman that they made and stuff like that. So you know, you, there are still bullies around there. And then you know, it's, it's up to Ralphie to do all the Christmas shopping. You know, he, he has to do all the stuff like five days, and he goes for a walk. Flix has his own tavern. He's got the family tavern, so he goes there. Schwartz is there, and then you know, that's where it meets up. And so you get little, little bits, you know, different things happen and stuff like that. I won't spoil the rest, but that's basically a setup. So he, you know, he's, he's in town for a little bit and, you know, he has to try to save Christmas, but it's not just about Christmas. It's also trying to recreate the Christmas because, you know, how his dad was so into Christmas. Ralphie has like all this pressure on her and he also has like the, the writing thing because you know the the deadline's coming up and he's so waiting you know his, to hear from his agent that his agent might have you know one something lined up or whatever and then you know he's supposed to write his father's obituary too but you know he's kind of putting that off and that leads to some other things and everything but overall you know i don't know if i i guess i look it up if, if peter billingsley's like done other things but when you look at him, I mean, he's a good actor and just a little like facial, some of the stuff, it's totally Ralphie. And, you know, if you watch the original thing, like the, just the, the expressions and stuff that Ralphie does as a kid, I mean, that's what makes a movie. I mean, it's just perfect casting. And Ralphie is an adult, you know, he still has that like same mischievous smile when he like looks at the camera or whatever. And so it was, it was just a delightful movie. And, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I, I debated, I was when it came on, it's like, oh, it's too early. You know, I watched it. It, was, it wasn't even Thanksgiving. It's like, it's too early to watch this. I can't watch it. But I felt like I should watch it because it had to come out the week before. And I was like, I, you know, before I hear anything or just, just to cover it, because I, I feel like it should be covered, even though maybe it's not like people are tuning into the show just to hear it. But I felt that it, it deserved to be covered. So it is worth watching. Like I said, it, it's not, it can't compare it kind of compares, but it, it can't compare to the original. It's not as great as amazing, but it's it has its moments. And, you know, things do get a little touching towards the end and everything like that. So, so yeah, I would say check it out. It's on HBO Max. Um, I don't know. It's not going to replace the, the original, but maybe you watch the original and then watch this one, you know, while you're doing whatever holiday activities, if you celebrate it or not. But, but that was a... It was it was good. So I'm. It was nice to see the, the character, the actor's return. And now for the final feature, we have Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. This it's it's interesting that they they made this, and you know, it, obviously it's supposed to be like a spoof to the Star Wars holiday special. I like that Marvel's doing this. You know, we had Werewolf by Night, which was I think it was like fifty five minutes, was just under an hour. This is forty four minutes. So it's just like a, a just bonus thing, and and that's one of the great things about Disney Plus that the fact that they have this outlet, this you know how they they can do this, you know, and they can invest the put the money in to make make this show that obviously can't be shown in the theater, and while it's it's fun and goofy, you know, it, there's no way you could see this in in the theater. So it was really nice that we we have this. 
so I, I guess I'll do spoilers since it's technically like a TV show and not really a movie. So if you're avoiding spoilers, you know, just pause it at any time. I mean, there's there's nothing. There's one big thing that that is that comes out pretty early. I found out about it before I watched it, which made me mad that that someone just just put totally put it out there. And what had happened, the way I found out is someone I follow on Twitter and I thought I muted them or not or before because in just some of the stuff that they they posted would, would whatever but I didn't want to just unfollow them but this person retweeted this others like some Marvel fan site that I never even heard of the tweet like straight up is is just spoiler in in the in the tweet That's, and is just ridiculous. So I think what because what had happened is is they spoiled it somewhere else. Like Marvel excellently put it in something. I don't know if it was like one of those like Marvel Legends, you know, behind the scenes episode things. But still, I, I don't know. So there there's gonna be some spoilers. So feel free to pause this at any time if you're waiting to watch it. If if you don't have a chance to watch it right away. But other than that, I mean, there's really no no major things that are going to be spoiled i think this one thing is is obviously something that's going to carry over into guardians of the galaxy volume three but other than that it's just it's about the episode it's a holiday episode and it's fun it's good and i'll talk more about it at the end like what i thought so the opening was kind of nice when you see like the comic pages and the marvel studios opening it's like holiday themed pages and then, then you see like the the superhero stuff like that, and the music's like holiday themed or whatever. Then when you see the Marvel logo at the end, there's like holiday lights, like a string of lights around the lettering, which was was kind of neat. Then we get this like animated like flashback. It's like literally like a cartoon. Star Lord, he's he's a kid. He's with Kraglin, uh, and you know they're getting like christmas stuff ready you know peter's like he has they have a little tree decorated in presents and yandu comes up yelling he's like what's going on here and you know star lord or peter's like decorating a tree and then yeah he, they're talking about christmas and gifts and stuff like that yandu's like there are no no handouts and he's like get that out of here he's like i hate christmas and he kicks the tree and everything like that so craglin is, is telling mantis drax and nebula about how yandu ruined christmas forever um uh, mantis is like oh that's so sad Drax, Drax is I find kind of annoying. I mean, he can be funny sometimes, but I I find him annoying. He just like laughs. He's like, oh, he's like, I like the part where Yondu kicked over the tree, and then Craglin's like, he just they just like look at him. He says, Craglin says he saw in the multi calendar that it's almost Christmas time on Earth, so it kind of brings back some memories. And Nebula's like, Yondu has a point. He's like, you know. And then they're saying how ever since buying nowhere from the collector, they don't have time for trivialities like Christmas. You know, the place needs a lot of fixing up before it's livable. And like we see Rocket is with Cosmo. Cosmo's using, you know, telekinesis to try to put some like pieces up and they're arguing. He's like, come on. He's like, use your power. And, and Cosmo gets mad and, and then makes Rocket give him some like treats or whatever. Peter's moping around. Ugh. And, you know, he's getting like you know some paperwork signed and doing all stuff like that this one guy stops peter he's like oh we're you know working on a christmas song we just got these instruments and he's like you know everything we learned from christmas you learned from cosmo who learned it from rocket who learned it from craglin who learned it from you 
So he starts doing this, and Peter's like, he doesn't really have time for this, whatever. So they start playing the music, and it's the old 97s are as aliens, you know, and the makeup and all that. So they start playing the song, and it, it starts out kind of like fine, like, you know, a, a Christmas song. And then it starts going, veering off. And, and this the song is kind of catchy, I have to admit. At first, I'm just like, oh my, I'm almost like rolling my eyes. But it starts talking about how Santa's like, furry he's a master thief and he has a flamethrower and peter's like what it's like no it's like no and whatever so it's a catchy song mantis says that drax you know they're alone you know sounds like christmas is a wonderful time and yandu ruined it for peter you know she feels like she should do something because of her secret and he's like what that you ate the not corn nuts but like something like that and she's like no so here's a big spoiler her secret is that she's Peter's sister. And Drax is like, why don't you just tell people the truth that you ate the corn nuts? <laughs> and then she says that, you know, Peter's father, their father, killed his mother and tried to kill him, so she doesn't want him to remind be reminded of that every time he sees her. So she feels that she should give Peter a happy Christmas since she's his sister. And, you know, he's so sad that Gamora's gone. So maybe if they gave Peter a really wonderful Christmas, it would make him happy. And then Drax is like, well, maybe if we get him a special present or, you know, maybe a special person. He's like, over the years, he has spoken of one person, a legendary hero who has saved countless lives. He's like, we could give him the quill as a present. Then we see Kevin Bacon get out of his car. He's like, got gifts, you know, he's in front of the trunk. Kira, his, his wife, calls, you know, they're in New York with the kids. And he's like, oh, I can't wait for you to come home. He's like, it'll be a perfect family Christmas. So Mantis and Drax, they, they fly like a jump ship to Earth. And then, you know, people are like freaking out, looking and taking videos. And she's like, did you forget to put the cloaking device like I asked you? And he's like, he reaches over, hits the switch. He's like, no. She's like, I just saw you. <laughs> you know, and he's like, no. So they land by the Hollywood sign. They figure they can just, you know, go out, ask people where Kevin Bacon is. So they start walking down like a uh, Hollywood strip or whatever. They're by, like, people are dressed up. So then they start wanting to take pictures with them, giving them money. And we, we see like someone dresses like a, a gobot and Drax wants to kill him and she's like gobots killed his cousin which like is that really like how do they know about gobots or gobots are they saying gobots are real in the MCU so they, they do all this stuff or whatever like that and then they go into a club later because they wonder could Kevin Bacon be in there it's like why just random club then they start buying drinks and getting drunk or whatever you know because they have this money then later they're sitting on the streets they're drunk he can't believe that no one knew where Kevin Bacon is. There's this map seller like standing next to him. She's like, I can tell you right here. So she wants $40 for, for the, the map. Mantis, she's like, where, where's my money? Because they spent it all probably. She just, they put it all in the bar. And then Mantis uses her powers, you know, touches Lady Hand. She's like, you will give us the map for free. And then she's like, and you'll give us all your money as well, which isn't cool or whatever. So then the map is accurate because they're outside Kevin's gate. They call like on the video, the ring, whatever doorbell. And, you know, he doesn't let them in. So they <laughs> go over the wall. And I want to explain how because there's something funny there. But then, you know, they're like knocking on the door. Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon. And he like goes, he's like, uh, no, he's like, you can leave. He's like, I'm going to call the police. Drax smashes the, the window by the door. They go in. And he's like, you're coming with us. So they start chasing through the house. They, he escapes. They go out. Police are out in the streets. They start shooting Drax. He's like laughing because it's tickling. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to pee my pants. And just like that. They finally uh, get long, you know, what? not really long chase, but they get Kevin Bacon. They're flying back. 
And they also they they had stopped at a a, a store to get Christmas decorations. Mantis uses her powers to make him come with them. So then they find out that he's just an actor because he didn't, you know, save the town from by dancing. That he didn't defeat Jason Voorhees, whatever. So they're like disgusted. Oh, you're just an actor. And then Mantis like, oh, she uses her powers like make him be a hero. And he starts talking in a British accent. He's like, okay, it's time to storm the beach to take down the Nazis. And Mantis is like, no, use your regular voice. Then he's like, oh, I'm Batman. He's like, no, no, I'm Bruce Wayne. And they're like, who? Who? So then we see Peter, he steps outside, Mantis and Drax, they put up tons of Christmas lights. They hit a lever, you know, they're like, all and, and on this, they start making it snow. They're wearing like ugly sweaters and Peter's actually surprised and like touched by like all the lights. Everyone comes out like cheers, you know, there's spotlight on Gru. He's wheeling at this big box, like on a dolly. It starts like moving a little bit and, and Peter like looks a little concerned and Kevin's like, you're like, oh, I'm about to pass out. There's no air in there. They're like, ta-da. And he's like, what'd you do? He's like, you got me a human being as a present? He's like, this isn't a Christmas gift. It's human trafficking. Then he realizes that Mantis used powers on Kevin Bacon because, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm so stoked to be here and everything like that. So then she returns him and he starts freaking out and he takes off. So then, you know, so that's that's not the entire thing, but that's most of it. Because, you know, Kevin hears from Craglin about, about Peter and everything. So then he decides to help friends. Uh, he gets like, they get reception out there because there's like a satellite or something like that. And then he, because Kira calls him and he says that he's going to help some friends or whatever like that. He sings with the band to do all the stuff. And then we see different gifts. Nebula got Rocket a special gift, which I won't spoil that. <laughs> um, then Peter's like, he says he can't believe that they did all this. And he's, he's like, you know, why? And then Manta says that, they heard how Craglin and Yandu, you know, from from Craglin, how Yandu ruined Christmas, and then Peter's like, "Well, Craglin forgot the ending, so you, I guess I won't spoil that, like what Yandu did after that." And then um, she says that she just wanted to do something special, and he's like, "What?" Are, he's she's like, "Because your father, he might be, he's my father too," and he's like, "Wait, does that make you my sister?" Then he's like, Mantis, that's the greatest Christmas gift I could ever get. And they hug. So I'm sure that will be acknowledged in the next movie. There's an animated ending, which wasn't, it was, it was a nice ending, but it wasn't, I won't mention that. There wasn't much there. But that's basically, that's the entire episode. So I, I again, 44 minutes, it's it's a nice length. You know, I, I always praise the 30 minute shows, but 44 minutes, you know, there's enough to set things up. You get some action, you get the, ending the conclusion it's not super long not drawn out i think it's, it's just right so i liked it and what i really like is there wasn't a whole lot of star lord in it so it was like like just a perfect amount drax was a little annoying but i guess he's supposed to be funny so there there's that but i think they, they did a good job all around so bravo to that and with that that is going to be this week's episode so big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm probably going to do at least one more episode of fantastic four and then maybe cover a movie or off of mind or something like that. And then do some more comics, something else. We'll see. 
but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So next week, um, still kicking in the holiday season, stuff like that, a movie feature is probably going to be Silent Night. So, uh, or no, not Silent Night, Violent Night. So Violent Night stars uh, David Harbour. Uh, John Leguizamo is also in there. And it's basically, he's Santa Claus. He's like Santa Claus for real, but he's like violent Santa Claus. So it's like, okay. Uh, after that, I'm not sure. Things are going to be kind of tight in December as to like what movies they'll be. So we'll have to see about that. Um, the following week, I think Doom Patrol is back. So that could be like the feature. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, and I mentioned earlier, so you know there was no Titans this week, but we'll do two t- episodes of Titan next week. We'll do the rest of Wednesday and um, the peripheral, obviously. And, and there's something else I thought. I, I, I keep forgetting. But with that, I hope you had a great week last week, and I hope you have a great week this week. I hope... You know, as a year is winding down, I hope you're settling in with <laughs> settling into what? Settling into 2022 now that it's almost over. Hope you got the hang of it. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope you remember to be good to each other. Hey.